Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemalewski rounding out our best of, question mark, month of July, where we're taking a little vacation and we are um, bringing back some episodes from the past for you guys to uh, to enjoy. Um, we've already gone through, at this point, uh, RoboCop um, from, uh, what was the date on RoboCop again, Chema? Oh, I just threw the piece of me. It was um, July 30th, 2018, I July think. July 30th, 2018. Uh, we've also, we also have hit um, The Villains Part 1 from February 25th, 2020. And The Lost Year in Music, or 1997, The Lost Year in Music from, that was, when was that again? No, November 20th of 2018. November 20th of 2018. And now we're going to round it out with something that just feels very appropriate for a best of um, uh, month here um embrace the reboot from march 30th 2018 um going way going to the wayback machine there to get that one um so so I'll, I'll, let me get to the lightning round question first here because reboots are something that we love we we you and i have now at this point three episodes that are reboot or remix or you know restarting adjacent um, so yep. this is something we definitely love talking about. So let's let's continue this conversation a little bit with this lightning round question for you. Um, what current original TV show? So current TV show that isn't that is that itself is not a reboot or an adaptation of something. What current okay. original TV show would you end immediately and reboot with your own sort of vision in mind? Oh my God! Okay. I don't know if this is for sure ended. Hopefully, it has been ended. But American Auto on NBC. Oh, well, you my. can you can end it. It doesn't matter. You can end it. You can just say that's oh, it. Okay. We're canceling it. I'm doing it on my own now. Yeah, I would definitely do something with that show. That has okay. by far and away been one of the more annoying shows to watch. Um, and if I did reboot it, I would seriously take the, I would take the exact same cast, but I would just use them differently. And I don't know if you ever watched Superstore. Like I mentioned it a couple of times I've seen on Super the Store podcast, but yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah. Superstore. It's the same guy. Justin Spitzer is mm-hmm. the creator of American auto did Superstore. He was a writer on the office too. There's a lot of writing credits for him, especially kind of as the show progresses. And, um, I liked Superstore a lot. I did. There was something about that show that just, like, I really enjoyed it. And um, I expected American Auto to be the same thing. It's not. And it's fucking awful. And, like, um, the core cast is, Anna Gasteyer would be the star. She's used awfully. She's, like, the the pharmaceutical rep coming in to represent the auto industry or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Barinholtz, Ike Barinholtz's brother, who was, like, a such a like secret weapon ace in the hole on superstore. Like just this weird kind of character that they gave a bunch of funny lines to and everything. He is dreadful to watch in this show. He plays like this douchebag, like owner of the company's son and everything like that. He's awful. Like just, they, they took the best thing. One of the best things about superstore and just like totally made it horrible. Um, there's this one actor, Harriet Dreyer, she is just she's supposed to be like the female love interest lead, like the Jenna Fisher of the show. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would not even believe that the the couple who the other the male lead is this guy named uh, Ty Ty White. And um, 
I would never even believe that those two were a couple. <laughs> like, like you guys, like you're, you're trying to sell me on a romance that I'd never even would believe would happen. The guy is way too much of a stud. So like, there's all these like little bits and pieces that I guess like should look good on paper, but the execution of the show is just so horrible. And I will tell you that if you've ever wondered what it's like to sell a show based on one scene from a script, the second act of the pilot where there's this debate over whether or not a car can see color because this self-driving car hit an African-American person Mm -hmm. it's hysterical after that it's all downhill (laughs) yeah gotcha this is this is um this you and I both know this happens um someone with a nice established track record um has 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 a good scene and a good idea in mind and like that's enough for the network to go let's do it this guy yeah. How could we not say yes? He's he's he has put us in the right direction previously. Yeah, and there are times where like this show is the way it is, and I even question in 2022 how the network let some of this stuff fly, especially with John Berenholtz's character, who is like by far and away like the typical like frat douchebag and stuff. There's like a lot of like really, I guess, kind of like demeaning women jokes and stuff like that in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like how did you, how did you guys do this like how did somebody at nbc like let this go did you just like turn in the script late or something i don't understand dude i'm telling you so i i just think there are um there are just some creatives in hollywood that once once they really are sort of once they really try to stretch themselves even in this case it's really not like it's really american auto isn't stretching itself that far from superstore i mean like all the trailers and previews and stuff like right. it's it's within very much the exact same type of workplace kind of comedy idea, but it's very clear that there are certain creatives when they try to stretch themselves to something else. It's just like maybe you should just continue to make this exactly because mm-hmm. it just doesn't like um uh what, what's his face uh Kurt um guy that made Sutter Kurt Sutter thank you with yep. you know that the, oh, his yeah, attempt, I know exactly what you mean yep, yep. yep. his <laughs> attempt to go thing. with the bastard yep. executioner was just like. It, it was just, it wasn't bad. It was like, how do you make a show this dull? That that show yeah. was dull. It just wasn't interesting. And it's like, oh, what happened yeah. from what happened from uh, from Sons of Anarchy to this? Like, I don't understand like how you couldn't in something that you're sort of promising as Sons of Anarchy medieval style. How could you just like forget all the interesting stuff? Right. I know. And he wrote South Southpaw too, which is actually a yep. not bad mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal boxing movie. So like when I heard about um, Bastard Executioner, I was like, all right, FX is getting ready to answer Thrones. And like within a year, he's already developing Sons of Anarchy Mayans. <laughs> spin-off. Right. right. Exactly. It just was so it, it's it wasn't even I, I don't know. It just it wasn't even that inspired. It looked really bland and bad. It was just sort of like I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> what? What yeah. happened here? This is really uninteresting and dull and doesn't look good. I, I don't know. Stephen Moyer, Stephen Moyer just needs to play vampires with Southern accents. Like, that's, that's it. Seriously. All right. So, so here's, so here's why I picked this particular episode. One, because it's very early on in our efforts, um, in our podcasting efforts, you know, this is now over four years ago, but I, I, the thing that I remembered from this episode is that we had really good ideas for gender flipping movies, but I I couldn't remember anything else. Like mm-hmm. so, like I remember so the the movies that we gender flipped. Um, you gender flipped Clueless to be about like a dumb vain boy. 
Um, you know, like yeah. some some dumb vain seventeen year old boy, um, which I think, especially now in in the current climate, would work really well. And oh, yeah. I, I I mean, like really really well in the current climate. And I gender flipped um, Kelly's Heroes, a nineteen seventies war movie um, that had an absolutely loaded cast. Um, I, I I don't have it in front of me right now, but like it's a who's who of Hollywood from this from literally from like the sixties and seventies and eighties. It's a who's who's who of Hollywood. And mm-hmm. gender flip that to be like about like a female unit um, and still kind of giving these, you know, giving all these various comedic and, and female character actors like a chance to just to be like oddballs on screen in a war yeah. movie. Um, so I think I think one, we both had really good ideas there. But I also forgot that we flipped like the premises of TV shows. We proposed new cover songs like there's a lot of shit we did in this episode that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Any believe me, any time that we could talk like there's sometimes while I may like I guess uh have some fatigue from the amount of reboots that actually hit the theater, I have no problem talking about them. <laughs> I, I know it's and that was sort of the funny thing that we like um I mean the title of the episode is Embrace the Reboot, but it was like we kind of like open up with like, Yeah, yeah, we're getting more of the same shit. But also here's how we would do it. Because like we were clearly very <laughs> right. interested and in do at the very least giving our own version of it. Like as, as, you know what it is? I, and I think we... I actually don't think it's in this episode. I think it's in the episode that we did called uh, The Remix. Um, mm-hmm. Where we swapped a whole... Like, it literally... It's yeah. it's not so much rebooting. We really are changing... Making swaps in exact scenarios for certain things. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think we both remember... I remember us from that episode, which comes a couple years later. I remember us both saying that, like, it's not so much that... That like reboots are inherently bad, or you know reimaginings. Um, what what did what did we call um, what did we call um, Star Wars: The Force Awakens? You had a great term for it. Oh my, was it? Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, the it wasn't the requel because I knew that's the um, Re, was it just a was, reintroduction? A reintroduction, maybe. Yeah, something like that. It's, but it, it was a re something word. Yeah, yeah. But it's so like so like the point being like it's totally fine to rehash these things if you if they're one if they're well done and two if there are sort of new elements in it that do separate it somewhat from you know from the from its predecessors. Unlike you know like again I guess we we don't talk about it because um, we hadn't got there at this point in time, but. Um, like Psycho 1960, Psycho um, 98, the mm-hmm. the odd like the odd decision to, with a couple of minute, and we mean minute exceptions, doing the exact same movie with the exact same shots is yeah, like it's so fucking bizarre of a choice, right. and then to somehow, and then to somehow, well, I guess not somehow, maybe predictably, come out with a lesser movie. It's just yeah. it's so bizarre. So, like, that's sort of, like, the bad side of reboots. And then the good side of reboots are some of the stuff that we talk about and then some of the stuff that we end up talking about, like, later in the episode. Like, there are mm-hmm. good things that do come of this. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, there, you know, like, some of these things, like, I'm not going to lie, when I watch them, I actually enjoy some of them. But, like, I really enjoy complaining about how everything is reboots. Like, I seem to really enjoy that. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's. I guess, I guess there's an inherent sort of thing um, that, that I'd probably most people, but certainly people like you and I, who are like a little bit more, think a little bit more critically about the media that we're ingesting. That, like, at the very least, I can look at it and go, like, well, I wouldn't have done that. Here's what I would have done. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So 
here's something that did surprise me upon this re-listen. It has nothing to do with the commentary that we make, but I, I don't know. I I want I don't know if it's the recording situation or something, but like we both sound like we're we we're sucking in helium before we speak. Really? We I mean it's not like that drastic, but we both compared to like what we sound like now on the podcast to mm-hmm. four years ago, we're like we're like an octave or two higher for certain. Oh, that is really interesting now. I, I, I don't know what it is, but there's a little bit of it's it's almost like we're like, oh well yeah, anyway guys, uh, uh yeah, just <laughs> gonna get into uh, this uh, reboot of like it almost sounds like that. Oh god, no! Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that just just to hear that part. I'm pre- I'm pretty fucking intrigued as to why our voices are higher. Maybe I don't know. It could just be me, but there's something about it that like the entire time I was listening to it, I'm like, like I'm like this this isn't just like a recording issue. For some reason, our voices sound higher to me. So I I, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so that, that, that was the only, that was really the only part that surprised me. Pretty much everything else <laughs> fell, fell right into line with what, how I, how I remembered it and how I figured we would cover it. But mm-hmm. so this is actually, this isn't surprised me, but this was the, the level to which I sort of disagree with some of the stuff in this episode, though, I guess is kind of surprising. But, um, so here's a couple of things that just are, I don't know. They're they're bizarre. Um, I'll I'll start with like some one of the. I'll start with the one that you go into that I think okay. that you would that you for sure would definitely like to backtrack on. Now, you go into this like long proclamation about how talented and amazing and unstoppable Gal Gadot is, and that oh. she's going to be winning. <laughs> she's going to be winning multiple Academy Awards and is going to be kind of kind of become like the female Tom Cruise. Yeah, way wrong on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was way wrong on that one. Um, and yeah, like I almost feel like as if I didn't need Wonder Woman 1984 to make me wrong about that one, but that just reinforces um, me taking this whole thing back. And yeah, I, I will tell you, man. Like when Wonder Woman came out and the explosion of Gal Gadot that we got everywhere like I that's where I thought we were headed I yeah. seriously thought that um she was going I mean, she's still a big star like mm-hmm. don't get me wrong oh, but sure. like she, she hasn't even done that many movies like in since Wonder Woman's come out and like I, I know it's only been like five five years or so now but um yeah she hasn't really done all that much and even what she has done I and like I number one there's a Netflix movie and the that's it. I don't really know anything else she's been in either. She's. I think she's done a couple of things. She did that one heist movie with John Hamm, and like I want to say um, Zach Galifianakis, and yes, yeah, the comedy movie. Yeah, yes. there was yeah her jam. Yes, yes. And there's something else that she's done besides like thinking outside of Wonder Woman and the the Netflix movie, which of which. I it's one of the that Netflix movie whatever it's called Red Notice is that what it's called Red no, Red Notice yes it I have a feeling in five years that's gonna be that's gonna be a movie quote unquote that doesn't exist that like yeah. you're we're gonna go through, like we're gonna go through you know it could be Ryan Reynolds it could be The Rock it could be Gal Gadot's IMDb page you're gonna see Red Notice and you're gonna go I don't know. I don't remember that movie. That didn't come out. Like I, right. no. I, like even even people who made that movie are going to forget about it. 
Of course, as they should. I haven't even seen it, and um, I've already was struggling to tell you the title. I have zero (laughs) plans to see it. I have zero plans to see it. Um, But yeah, so, and here's the thing, like, it's not just you. I back you up on it. Like, I offer no resistance, because I think we were at that point, you know, we're just like a year and a half removed, or not Mm -hmm. even a year and a half removed from Wonder Woman. Um, So, like, it just sort of made sense, and obviously, like, I, I still think there's a path to stardom for her. I just, like, I can't imagine that it's as wonder you know it's as it's as leading characters that have to shoulder the same amount of movie that she does in wonder woman i just don't think that's the path to, to her superstardom yeah i um i think that the this path to superstardom is not as um wide or long as it used to be but um i we'll see i don't know stranger things have happened in the world but that is one that i definitely can comfortably say that um yeah i was wrong mm-hmm. Um, so here's one that I wanted to backtrack on. You you talked about um, you talked about rebooting the mask um, and sort of basing it more off of the comic book versus yeah. versus like rebooting quote unquote the movie, like going back to the mm-hmm. source material for it. And I offered up as as your directors for this for this particular remake, I offered up the Coen Brothers, knowing that they do a good balance of certain types of comedy and also certain types of like dark comedy. You know, like thinking. Yeah. Thinking about like Fargo and even like Barton Fink and Raising Arizona, like there's a really excellent balance of like that black comedy in a, a lot right. of the things that they do. But upon upon like second upon really thinking about this now, I, while while I think that they would be fine with you know with this type of movie, I I really want to figure out how I can reach back into the magical bag of approximately 2002 Sam Raimi to have him redo the mask. Uh, yeah, and I just saw Doctor Strange the other day. Yeah, he that is a great pairing right there. Not only did he do a great job with Doctor Strange, but um, that same kind of darkness that um, we get in the mass comics and stuff, I think is right up his alley. Yeah, I think um, I just again, like I, I just I, I because of the I hate I hate when we when we name check other podcasts, but because of like blank checks been on their Sam Raimi thing. Um, I kind of forgot how one how after you know post post Evil Dead how wa- much wider his uh, movie scope gets like the things that he do- does get significantly wider post Evil Dead um, mm-hmm. and then and then obviously he becomes the human he be- he is the he is in fact the page- patient zero or I don't, the the first test case of what superhero movies will become. Um, and, but like having said that, that energy from, from Spider-Man one is awesome. Spider-Man one yeah. is an awesome fucking movie. Spider-Man two is an awesome fucking movie. If I could get that sort of bottle, that same awesomeness, that energy that Sam Raimi has in those two movies for a mask reboot, it'd be fucking awesome. People, that, that would be a killer movie for him. Oh, hell yeah, dude. That he could easily, um, he could easily make something out of that into like a franchise and stuff like that. Like it could mm-hmm. be multiple movies and having his name attached to something like that is, I think it's just going to add a way more weight to the project. And I think that when people hear his name and find out that he's doing something like that, they're going to know that this is not like the mass that we grew up with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other, just one other little thing here that I, that I did find hilarious um, is that you sort of pinpointed you had you had this whole um, map that you were thinking about for the DCEU mm-hmm. and like where they could go with movies um, and it's 
it's actually a lot of it's actually fairly on point with um, with with some of the stuff. Like not necessarily in terms of release date, but sort of how they were going to go through with and you know how they're what, when the movies were coming, how they're going to release them, whatever. Um, you're pretty on point, but it's it's just funny now in retrospect that you are pinning a lot of hopes on the year 2020, and yeah. <laughs> like, oops, nothing really. Nothing happened in 2020, movie-wise, so... I know, because um, that was the year the Batman was supposed to come out and everything. Like, yeah, that's... I know, I know. And unfortunately, that uh, stupid pandemic. Yeah, that was it, was... it was just really funny hearing how you were lining up certain movies for 2020, and I'm just sitting here going, oh, man, if only we knew. If yeah. only we knew <laughs> what's going to happen and how it's, gonna, how it's really going to upturn the, the movie industry. But also um, now, now that um, you mentioned um, the Flashpoint movie, like multiple times, mm-hmm. is it is entirely possible with whatever happens with um, Ezra Miller uh, legally in the in the next who knows how long that we never see a Flash movie period. Yeah, that is something um, I have brought into consideration, and like, what a fucking like this. Like, this situation with him, like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, I figured he was, like, a weird guy in some oh, sure. level. But he's got a fucking a kid and, like, this mom living on, like, a property or some shit like that on top of other, like, forms of, like, harassment and, like, things that I'm sure constitute sexual, sexual abuse. It is also, like, yeah, he's also supposedly grooming other kids. Um, and obviously he's apparently travels to Hawaii to just go get into fights with people. Um, like... There, there is like I guess at what point is there so much bad press that you mm-hmm. just cancel this movie and uh, do you just who's who plays the Flash on TV? I can't remember his name. I, he's I, been doing it for a while. For a while, I would not be shocked if they're just like, all right, um, we we got to call you up to the big leagues because yeah. <laughs> we're we're kind of in a pickle here. Yeah, you know something like I would have to assume that they could somehow like. They maybe not like do a full on reshoot, but there's got to be some way to digitally put him in the movie. There's got to be a way to like to fix this without having to undergo reshooting the whole goddamn thing. Yeah, exactly. Grant Gustin is the Flash. Okay, on TV. Yeah, yeah. But um, he's been at it for so long. I'm kind of surprised why they just didn't call him up in the first place. But that's another day and a whole other thing. Is does he make um? Does he make a cameo in one of the, or is he supposed to make a cameo in Flash, in whatever the Flash movie's called? Yeah, I think that they're going to be joining, like, all or as much of the DC uh, extended universe as possible. But Ryan Ran- Reynolds' Green Lantern was supposed to show up in this movie. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, that is, I think, yeah, I think that's all I have there for um, for this particular episode. Before we, before I, uh, I let this one roll, did you, any, any, sort of thoughts on um on this sort of experience as a whole re-listening to ourselves well, well believe me it's a it definitely made me realize how much i say the word like and how that needs to kind of get cut into <laughs> like more than half so um yeah and i will tell you that um I, i'm actually quite surprised like as to how good some of the conversations are like it's just in my mind like i guess it, i don't sometimes i don't remember them being as smooth as they are. Sure. So that was like a really good surprise. And it was just, it was just like 
kind of cool to like go back and like just scroll through that that long list of episodes and stuff that we have. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun. I think um, so. I think generally speaking, since we've we've kind of earmarked July as like our month off, um, mm-hmm. like a, a total you know a total month off. Obviously, we take time off if we need to otherwise, but. Um, since we have like July earmarked as like a total month off, I think that perhaps this is one of the months that we'll just book as sort of like, you know, let's, let's, let's consider flipping this in the rotation come July. Yeah. Re-listen to some episodes, reintroduce in the same way. Maybe we could do something slightly different with it or whatever. Um, you know, I was even, I was even thinking about as I was writing this, I'm like, Ooh, should we do trivia for each other? Um, that is interesting. <laughs> so that's a possibility too. Something like that. But basically, um, we'll make July sort of consistently like just a, a you know a month off for us and like a catch up month for anyone else that uh, that might be new to the podcast. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, so that's it for our little intro here, our log intro here, and so let's move on to embrace the reboot from March thirtieth, twenty eighteen. And Chem and I are the head of a studio. What you call it, PC Culture? PC Culture, because our last name started with PNC. I got it. Uh, <laughs> no, it's perfect. Um, so we're we're the heads of, of PC Culture, and instead of which, basically, this sounds like every studio now. But instead of even trying to develop something original, um, we're just going to port something over or remake something. You know, whatever whatever it happens to be. And I just like I just set it like a series of of questions that kind of like to get us. To get the, the creative juices flowing, uh, you know, for the, for the later part of this. Um, so, let's see, what do I have, like, four questions here? Four questions here. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to go in any particular order? Because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, let's just go right on down the okay. list. All right, so I, I asked so I asked Chema here, and obviously I asked myself, um, what movie, you know, what older, or doesn't older, newer, whatever, what previous movie would you like to see gender flipped? Um, it doesn't have to be. You know, you don't have to make it an all-female cast. It could have been an all-female movie that you want to see with a male cast, um, which would be kind of strange because those already exist. But um, but what movie would you like to see gender-flipped? Okay. So for our first reboot movie here at PC Culture, which I'm envisioning to be like kind of like a Franklin and Bash type environment, but we're not like <laughs> trying to hook up with any of the secretaries or anything like that, you know? Right. Hey, because we, we, we respect Time's Up. Yes, exactly. Exactly, dude. Believe me, we were all about Time's Up and Me Too here on this podcast. So um, we and we are feminists for sure. Equality. Absolutely. Um, definitely. So like what I'm imagining here in this, um, you know, kind of uh, family friendly Franklin and Bash type uh, agency that we run is our first reboot of a movie is going to be taking Clueless, but flipping the dynamic from a uh, affluent uh, young woman to an affluent young man. Now, I I know that they kind of covered some territory with this with mm-hmm. Malibu's Most Wanted. Like, I, I kind of like immediately thought <laughs> that Malibu's funny, Most Wanted is like the, the spiritual sequel to Clueless. Yeah. But um, I um, this is something that I think would actually work because um, I have become more and more aware of exactly how fucking stupid and douchier like younger dudes are. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, like most young people in and out of themselves, like, you know, when you're in your 19s, like, to, you know, like, like 2021, 20, like those ages and stuff like that. There's a there's a lot of like douchey, you know, and there, there's some really, you know, like I play basketball with um, this team. I'm like the oldest person on the team, like by a long shot. And like everybody I play with is like fucking awesome. Like they're not douchey people at all. 
But there are like a lot of douchey people in like younger age brackets, in in my opinion and stuff. And that's just mainly like the whole get off my lawn thing. That's just going to get worse and worse as I get older. Um, but I think that this would be a really interesting way to go because the image of like a stupid, clueless, like rich kid it's just like something that we see like all the time, dude, whether the, the internet is like shaming somebody or it's like a dumbass, like, you know, stupid video, like a Logan Paul type thing. Like this is the image now that I think people associate with a clueless individual, like, and in the nineties and like back, you know, when we're kind of like, we're still in the Hollywood sexism thing. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. like, you know, in the nineties, the Hollywood viewed, the young like teenage girl as the clueless persona. And I believe that in time that that has shifted to our side now and like throughout, you know, like even TV, like a lot of uh, TV is the, the husband is really, really stupid and the wife is really, really smart mm-hmm. and witty and funny and stuff. And he just kind of, you know, do 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 deliver lines, make dumb decisions. Somehow she's still with me kind of TV shows. Kevin James. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. Kevin James, is done. <laughs> yes. Kevin James, like Jim, the Jim Belushi Jim stuff, Belushi, like yeah. uh, Home Improvement. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's just, it's, that's how it's been. Yeah, everybody loves Raymond. Like, that's how the thing has been. Like, you're, you're not going to, the days of the whole, like, man shutting down woman all the time and a lot of jokes being based on how, like, a, a, the wife doesn't know this or, oh my God, you don't know how to do that kind of stuff. Like, th- those days are over. And they've been in the works for like a while now. And I think that it's gone so well in creating this new kind of television dynamic that we've now like that, like the young male kid is like now the go to image of like, what do you think to be a clueless individual? And I think it would work. I think you could give the guy, he could basically have everything that Cher had. Like he can even have the name of a character who uh, used to be famous that's now doing infomercials so like uh as far as like guys go you know he could be named george you know and he's he's got a he's got a friend whose name is uh george too i don't know you know they they could have that same thing oh you know what i'm telling you it would be it would be george and then all of his friends would be like skylar tyler taylor like yeah it it, basically all his friends would have the exact same sounding name yeah, ER last names like Hunter and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, they could they could still have everything like with the big house and the money and the clothes and like still have the same like clicks in high school and have basically the same premise of the movie, which I guess is like you know, Share uh, is eventually trying to get a clue for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be the same thing with the guy. You know, and they could just kind of up the stakes a little bit and make everything more modernized. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's maybe there's a rainbow party that's involved. I don't know. <laughs> like so, so, something you know, like something like along those lines, you know, and um, I probably wouldn't actually pay to go see it at the theater. But I, I'm pretty sure that it would be a hit. I, I love this because I, I guess I, I, I guess now that you're like really bringing it to my attention, it, it is interesting how. That sort of um, that sort of persona has really flipped, and it really is like the teenage the teenage to young adult male mm-hmm. that is now completely you know they've gone backwards like they've infantilized that that yeah. that that, that, you know, that type of character and, and everything and right 
And I think what exacerbates it, and you brought up Logan Paul, is that there are people like Logan Paul who are making a fuckload of money being right. a dumb, being being way too dumb for your age, you know. Right. And and he and he does it on purpose, which is like right. all the more you know like sinful. Um, yeah. But it is interesting. Yeah, how you, it is interesting how that sort of dynamic has completely flipped, and how mm-hmm. we have. I'm not going to go like too specifically into this. But, like, we have, like, young women now who are, like, who clearly are, you know, they're leading political movements. They're leading activist movements. They're, like, it, it's clearly, like, young women are, like, on the, it, it's it's flipped 100%. I mean, it is totally different. Yeah. Right. It, exactly. Not even that long ago. Just 20-some years ago. I mean, that, right. the, dynamic was, the dynamic was reversed. And like, even, like, take a look at, like, um you know, the the, the secular family shows, like, the, the modern secular family shows. And, like... Modern Family is a rare example because there's three kids and they have a very smart girl and a less intelligent girl and then a less intelligent son, you know. But for the most part, like the shows were um, you had the the, like I said, like the last 10 or 15 years, the the shows have been the the wife is very intelligent. the, The father isn't all that smart. The the daughter is the successful nerdy one or maybe she's like nerdy and attractive or something. And then you have the son that's like the dumb jock or the dumb skateboarder or the the, the kid that's 10 that still eats glue, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. in, the, in the 90s, it wasn't really like that. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's very, very, very interesting. I'm glad you – well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe like the best like 90s example of, of that sort of – of the besides Cher and Clueless, um, uh, Kelly on uh, on um, Married with Children. Yeah. The oh, hot, yeah, exactly. The hot airhead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, dude. And like not necessarily like the the core cast of Saved by the Bell, but like the um, the the secondary like cheerleader characters and other kids that went to the school, like they you know like they were like the the airheady like women and stuff, and like all the guys were like either like the uh, they were either, sorry there were some dumb jock characters, but you had like a lot of like nerdy smart kids that mm-hmm. were secondary characters in Saved by the Bell. Yeah, no, very good point. That dude, that's. That's very, very. We need. We need to. I, I really hope some actual executive accidentally listens to this podcast. This one in yeah. particular, because that's like that's like on the money. For uh, th- that is like so on the money right now, and it's so topical. Uh, that, you're right. I think that would be extremely successful. Thank you. How about you? What's your uh, What's your movie? So I went or gender uh, flip. My gender flip movie um, is. I went a different. I went a different direction, and and the I, I, I'm going to take you through some of the casting of this movie. Um, okay. Uh, it's a, I think it's from 1970, maybe it's from prior to that, but uh, it's a World War II movie called Kelly's Heroes. Okay. Um, this is a fucking powerhouse movie of its time. Um, mm-hmm. here, here's the original cast. Clint Eastwood is Private Kelly. Telly Savalas, Don Rickles, Carol O'Connor, Carol O'Connor, Donald Sutherland, and Gavin McLeod are all in this movie. Jesus, this is like this is like a actor's acting, and like I mean, and you have Don Rickles, you have one of the greatest comedians of all time thrown in here. Harry, Harry Dean Stanton, Harry Uncle Dean Leo Stanton. is in this movie. Yep. It's uh, wow, it, it's a powerhouse movie, and uh, the 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 whole premise of Kelly's Heroes, World War Two movie, it's a comedy, it's like an adventure comedy, and mm-hmm. this this group they they encounter a um, they encounter a Nazi uh, a Nazi general, or maybe just like a field commander, whatever. Um, uh, you know, they, they get him. They get him real drunk one night, and he just, he divulges his information about there's like 16 million dollars worth of gold bars in mm-hmm. a bank in France, 
And right. this group has essentially they have downtime. Um, you know, they're they have like scheduled downtime for like the next three days. So they're going to take some tanks, go to this French town, take all the gold, and, and, and abscond with it. And you you have like I mean like these are all by the way these guys are all like in their primes at this point. I mean you know forty almost fifty years ago now. Mm-hmm. And like you get like I by the way I've I've seen parts of this movie I've never seen it all the way through, but like each each actor gets like a part to sort of like showcase what they do. Yeah, I mean obviously Clint Eastwood is the lead. What he's been his whole you know what he was his, his whole acting career he's the lead actor you know he's the he's the staple character. Right. Um, then you have Don Rickles gets to be the funny asshole. Um, mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland, I think people like kind of forget Donald Sutherland back then was really fucking weird. Um, he's still yeah. weird, but I mean, he was really weird back then. Yeah. Um, so Donald Sutherland his literally his character's name is Sergeant Oddball. And he just, he probably was on drugs the entire movie. Um, mm-hmm. you just have like, you just have like this, it's really like a showcase for all these actors. And yeah. I think this would be, this would be like a perfect opportunity to flip this. And give some of um give some of like the real like great character actors actresses, um, mm-hmm. lead actresses and and comedians like like their own showcase to do something fun and like of just course. outlandish. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna run through this real quickly, and then I'll I want you I want your yay or nays on this. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'll start with I'll start with the the private Kelly character the namesake character, uh, mm-hmm. Uma Thurman. Ooh. As your lead. I I like that. That's kind of an off the wall choice because she hasn't done much over the course of the last couple of years. But um, Uma Thurman is definitely like it's still a face that people are going to recognize. Like the Kill Bill movies made her famous forever. Mm. Like she's never like actually going to go anywhere, you know. And I think Kill Bill was important because it kind of establishes because there's there is plenty of action in Kelly's Heroes. So mm-hmm. you know it's, it's so it's a comedy, but there's still action in it. And she's you know she's proven her action chops, if you will. Yes. So Uma Thurman is is uh, Private Kelly, uh, Master Sergeant Big Joe, Telly Savalas's character, um, the, the 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 second you know this I guess you'd say the, almost the second lead, uh, mm-hmm. Frances McDormand. Ooh, okay. Uh, you know I she's like her too. She's playing. You know she's get, she gets to dig in and like do the big acting role. I mean that's going to be her like whole thing. Yeah. I'm going to um, do an ooh after every one of these. So yeah. Just, <laughs> um, I love this that much. <laughs> so the the Don Rickles character. This one was tough because. Perfect world, my perfect world casting would already be done, but she's dead, and that would be Joan Rivers. Would okay, be, would yeah, be the, would be the would be the female comedian, um, the mm-hmm. the foul mouth female comedian. Oh, um, definitely, yes. Hard to cast her when she's not alive anymore. Um, Correct. So th- this is the one that I struggle with the most. Tiffany Haddish, uh, Haddish, Haddish, however you pronounce her name, as um, as Staff Sergeant Crap Game. I love Tiffany Haddish. I think she's fantastic. fantastic. Like I think she's a really great. Um, persona like all like a personality explosion mm-hmm. yeah and that's and that's what you need for this character who's just going to be like one lining and wisecracking the entire time of course uh there's a the character played by carol o'connor carol o'connor uh major major cult he's sort of like this like oblivious character and i mm-hmm. it was kind of hard to like just pick like an oblivious actress like that seems kind of rude yeah um so i feel like this is another chance for like a, a good character actor to to step in and take this rain take the reins of here mm-hmm. um and Major General, like, I, I feel like, literally, I needed someone tall for this. Yeah. So, Allison Janney. Oh, of course. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Allison Janney. She's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's very incredible. Um, have, you another, seen, have you seen Itania? I have not yet, no. Okay, she's, she's incredible in it. 
she's great in everything. She's great in West Wing. Um, she's great in that stupid fucking mom show. <laughs> like, yeah, she's great in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sergeant Oddball, Donald Sutherland's character. I'm going with uh, I'm going with Leslie Jones. Okay, just just someone to. It's again like it's kind of tough to uh, to pick like someone who exudes the same weirdness as Donald Sutherland. My only other choice maybe would be Aubrey Plaza. I love Aubrey Plaza. She could be in anything okay. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. I, I, Doesn't I really love Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other characters, like the the Gavin McLeod character. I I did a coin flip here. Either pick Alana Glazer or Abby Jacobson. I don't care. Put, I gotcha. put either one in that role. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's a small role that I think would be I this would be perfect. Um, the the small role of the of the German general, the Nazi general. Um, that needs to be Tilda Swinton. Of course, yeah, it has to be Tilda Swinton. Yeah, she looks more like um, more uh, Nazi like than I do, and I'm also tall and blonde. Right, right. So, like, I just I think. I think with all of the like the big you know with all the all the we're we're finally giving like women their due in Hollywood. There still like really aren't women action heroes, and I think that's right. like, why something like this would be a really fucking great idea. For, right. One because first off, like the like a lot of the ideas behind my casting too was like not to go like who's the hottest actress I can put in here. Right. Like I, I wanted to avoid that like at, at all costs. Of course. And to give some of these like really great actresses who have been a- around a long time like their due. And then, like, to show that, like, you can, you know, Wonder Woman clearly showed us you can have women leading an action movie. Like, there's, mm-hmm. it will make money. If, you know, if the acting's good, the writing's good, the action's good, it doesn't matter that it's a fucking woman doing it. Right. Um, and, like, we need another sort of, we need another notch in that sort of belt to, like, hey, guess what? Women can, women can do war movies. Women can do yeah. anything you want. And I think this would be, like, a, a fun step. Especially because you, it's, it's not, you know, the movie isn't serious. You know, right. there's a lot of, like, ridiculous stuff that happens in Kelly's Heroes. But it would still, you know, it would, like, at its core, it's still an action movie. And I think that would be a really good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I totally agree with you about how there's, like, uh, we've had a hard time kind of uh, jumping into the, like, a, or not jumping into, but, uh, like, a somebody blasting off as a female um, action star. You know, I think that... Uh, Gal Gadot has got a lot of potential with Wonder Woman and everything. Um, Gal Gadot is also just, it's weird, dude. Like there's really not much wrong that she can do, you know, like it's crazy how, um, how she just kind of came out of nowhere. And like, she's like a, Gal Gadot is like a superstar, you know, like Mm -hmm. she's like, will eventually be like a, a big time superstar. And um, what's weird is like, you know, some of the people like um, like Gina Carano and everything like that, like, you know, these kind of like uh, like athletic or WWE people, you know, like that come from other things in mm-hmm. the film that end up in these action movies. The problem is, is that they just pick bad action movies, you know, like yes. I, I feel that like they're like um, Gina Carano, I believe, is in Deadpool. I think she's the. um like she's one of the strong characters in Deadpool, but she also had like a female assassin movie, like when she yeah, was, was kind a, of yeah, it was a Soderbergh movie. movie, was it not? I want to say yes. Yeah, I, I, I really want to say yes on that. And um, you know, like it just didn't really do all that much for her because I think like you know you she just picked like okay, like we need a movie that we have a we have a movie that. Um, we're, we're going to make it. It's an action movie. We need a hotshot, like female lead to be put in here. Gina Carano kicks ass. Let's put her in this movie, you know? And I, I just think it's more about 
getting those people because it's like, hey, by the way, this WWE star or, or this, um, you know, MMA or professional skateboarder or swimmer or whatever is now in this action movie. I think they're more playing for that angle than the whole like, hey, this movie's actually good. You should just see it angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie was called Haywire. That Gina Haywire. Said, yeah, um, that's right. Was a soda movie, and you're right. Like it, it's, and plus it's tough. Like, you know, like you're gonna get. You're going to get some like interesting like fight stuff with someone like Gina Carano or, or Ronda Rousey because mm-hmm. that's what they do, but they're not actors. I, I right. mean, you know, not not yet. I mean, they're not. I mean, they are obviously, but you know what I mean. Like they're right. They're just not. They're not quite. They're not quite there on that level. Um, right. And to sort of like expect someone like Gina Carano to carry a movie like her first movie to to essentially be the the main figure in it is like a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And in same with same with Ronda Rousey, like it's a little ridiculous to expect Ronda Rousey to, you know, to if, if like next year they gave her some like, you know, they try to launch some kind of female action franchise and like she's got to be a character piece, like she's got to be a secondary piece for now because she right. just doesn't. Hell, there we've talked about this many times. There are men that can't carry action movies, um, yeah, and you know, it, and the big physical guys you would think would should be able to, and they can't do it. Yeah, and it would like be actual really actors, actual too, actors, dudes. Yeah. So throwing throwing a woman who's you know Ronnie Rousey, Ronda Rousey kicked the shit out of me, but I'm sure that I'm sure that when it comes to acting, we're on a very similar plane. So it, it's just mm-hmm. it, it's tough. It's tough to sort of it's tough to sort of like try to jumpstart it that way when when we've you know like the Gal Gadot's come along once in a generation basically. Like that's right. That's not going to happen again for a long time. Yeah, like Jennifer Lawrence, like I, like Jennifer Lawrence, I, is um, is a megastar in and out of herself. Mm-hmm. But I think like if you are going to like, you know, measure up careers, I think Gal Gadot is just going to have a better overall career. Like she's going to get an Academy Award at some point in time. You, you fucking know it. Mm-hmm. And um, Jennifer Lawrence, like um, I believe, is like the full package, and like it's just going to be consistently good. But like Gal Gadot is going to be into like just a level of stardom that like, you know, she could be like a female, like Tom Cruise. That's actually makes good movies and stuff. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, man, there you go. There, those are our gender flip movies. Clueless and Kelly's heroes Two, two, two very, you know what? I, I, I love the, I love that discussion we just had. Cause we both, we both attacked that from like two very different points of view, but like, I think we're both right. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I, I think we're both right. We're, we're rarely off. To, we're rarely wrong on this show. And even if we are, we just edit it out. So yeah, no big definitely. deal. Uh-huh. All right. So how about um, how about a classic war movie that would be interesting to tell from the other side? Okay. Um, I decided because like I I just kind of like lumped in a couple like there's nothing really that I, I specifically I thought maybe like Saving Private Ryan from the Germans' perspective where. These guys are just set out on this mission where all they have to do is get this one bridge, but they fail kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So, like, what I'm what I'm really interested to see, and like, I I don't necessarily know if this exists or not. Um, it definitely exists in real life, but um, I don't necessarily know if it exists on uh, on film. Where it's a movie like where it's from the South's perspective, like as if the South didn't lose the Civil War, you know, mm-hmm. like. Um, and then that's how they they think now. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> oh, just, believe like, me. the war yeah. of, the war of northern oppression is still it's either ongoing or you know they didn't lose, yeah. but whatever. Like, because I'm I'm just really interested in this perspective of it. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that 
this whole like mentality of you know, or maybe I don't. Maybe we're wrong. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but um, um, but it's just something that I've never seen. And like, you know, I'm sure there are documentaries about how they teach this shit in schools and stuff like that. But like, I would actually like like to see, you know, like take a take a battle that like maybe wasn't necessarily so one sided. That like, uh, you, it was was Gettysburg? I know Gettysburg. A lot of people died, but like, the, did the North win that one or did they lose? Uh, I think everyone lost that one. Okay, so I, like, okay, I think so, it was like everyone lost that one. Yeah. Okay, okay, so let's so they yeah that's that's good. That's exactly what I was going for. Like I'm not entirely familiar with Civil War history as I used to be, but um, so like with uh, take Gettysburg, which is you know kind of like an everybody everybody lost kind of thing. I would like to see it from their side because at some point in time, I think that they either teach it as like the South won the war. Or they teach it as like, um, or the the South won that battle. Or they teach it as like one of those kind of like Alamo type things where like we lost the Alamo but we kept our pride kind mm-hmm. of some kind mm-hmm. of movies or whatever. And I'll tell you, like, um, I I don't think that a lot of movies go this way for obvious reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there's a reason that these kind of movies aren't being made. But I think that if Clint Eastwood could do the war movies like he did that letters to Iwo Jima and the mm-hmm. other the other one which is escaping me right now but it's the same battle but from two different perspectives if he could do that i i think that this movie could like a movie from the south's perspective could be made i don't necessarily know if anybody will watch it but i think that like this type of mentality like we need to see like what creates this mentality so maybe like seeing like a battle where we in the North clearly know wh- how one out how the outcome is according to history books, but I would really like to know how they see it, um, because I think that that would kind of unlock a little bit of the mystery as to like why these beliefs exist in the people that believe in them. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a really that's a really good call. Yeah, letters from Iwo Jima and uh, flags of our fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you have you have like some there are like some notable examples other like of sort of on you know on the enemy side like U five seven one takes place on, mm-hmm. on a Nazi submarine, um, right? And it's it's sort of it's really interesting because there are, I don't I just there aren't enough movies made like this, um, and there aren't enough made because uh, you're right for obvious reasons like it's really hard to sympathize with a bunch of Nazis, but right exactly but. But not – this is, like, where where it always, like, kills me. Not every German soldier was a Nazi. They were right. German soldiers who happened mm-hmm. to be – you know, who happened to – the Nazis happened to be in leadership. Um, right. And you hear, like – you hear some, like, the – I don't know. Are, are, you, are, you, are you a fan of um, – of, uh, oh, gosh. It's already – why is it escaping me right now? HBO miniseries. Uh Boy, the band, band, of, band brothers. of brothers. Yeah, thank you, band of brothers. Oh, yeah, like I, I've seen a couple episodes. I, I I can't remember watching the show in its entirety, but what I have seen, I've really enjoyed. Um, there there are interviews sprinkled in, um, and you find out. Uh, it's probably too late to not surprise him. It's been around for like seventeen. Yeah, years. go go for it. Dude. Go um, for it. You find out like the, that these interviews in between are all of the soldiers in the in the show. Yeah, and when they're talking about like some of their experiences with the Nazis. Like mm-hmm. some of them, like they they meet people who are from the United States, 
that yeah. are fighting for the Germans because they're, you know, they're, they are first generation Americans, but they went home to fight for the fatherland. Like it, yeah. it wasn't out of malice for Jews or, mm-hmm. or, you know, or gypsies or the disabled. Like they just, that was like their call to serve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of these people they encounter, like they don't give a shit about Nazis and Nazism right. and like the, and the, the, the final solution, they don't give a crap about any of this. Right. They just were soldiers. And like, it, yeah. it's, you know, like that's like the, that's, I think that's like what a lot, a lot of war movies try to get to anyway, that sort of the experience that like, yes, we're all, you know, they're all, they're all just parts of a machine basically, but mm-hmm. we rarely get a chance to see on the other side of it. So I, I, I think, and I think that would be a really interesting look at it um, from the civil war side. Like, cause I would have to assume that most of the soldiers, none of them own slaves. I mean, they, they had to be all poor people, right? Right. The, the actual people on the ground, of course, there's no way in hell that your average like person, you know, own or own slaves and everything. They were like, I believe that like and like I, I, I hate to like really throw like the kind of like angle I'm going to throw out there. But like there really were just like regular people who were just kind of like fighting for the South, you for know, country, and like for what they thought was their country. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, I know that. I guess you could d- define that as patriotism if they view the South as their country, you know, but that's a whole other fucking thing we don't need to go into, you know, but like, like, I, I guess, you know, like, if, you know what I'm saying? Like, the I guess, like, to a certain degree, like, if you really aren't all about the whole, you know, the, the historical, the, the stuff that really sticks out in history from those times, like, if you're obviously not, if you're obviously against the whole, like, murdering of Jews and like just the final solution, like the experiments, the camps, all that kind of stuff. Like you could be against that and still be in the army and still, you know, fight for your country and in defense of your country or in whatever the hell your country is doing. But, um, we just don't ever hear about that. Like the, the enemy is just like so vilified, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially like, um, when you're going into like, you know, especially like the World War Two era of cinema and stuff like that, like going up until I'd have to say like a more modern time. And that's how everything was. It was entirely one sided. There was never really any like um, like ambiguity, I guess, in yeah. the villains and stuff. And um, I feel that like, you know, we we live in a time now where, you know, number one, like if we're obviously looking for more original ideas now, granted, there's really nothing too original about like telling the story from the other person's pers- from the other side's perspective. But um, I think, number one, you, you have to do it right. And I think you have to like you have to pick something that it, it can't be the Nazis. Like as, as compelling as like the World War II, um time period is in our history and like. It's it's a very interesting time period, you know, and like the the atrocities that are were committed are, you know, it's absolutely like fucking horrible and tragic and everything, and the really god awful stuff took place. But like, from a historical perspective, you know, you can kind of read up a lot about it, so you just learn to like never ever ever do this again. You know what I'm saying? That this that this time period happened, and we should not ever go back to anything anything like it. And I don't think that we're ready to like really um, put the Nazis in a good light quite yet. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And and like, dude, I saw this movie, like I'll tell you, like there's this movie called believer with Ryan Gosling. Have you ever seen this movie? I've not. 
okay, it's a, it's like a younger wild Gos- Ryan Gosling, and um, the the basically the story is like he is a um, he's like a skinhead like neo Nazi guy, but he's Jewish, and it's all about like his like internal conflict and everything, and I mean the movie's like really 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 fucking intense, and um same thing with like American history X dude. Like it's really intense. And like those movies I think are more, they're more about like saying something and like shock value to make a, to make a point, which, which the point has been made, you know what I'm saying? Like we get it. But, um, I think it's just like a little too extreme, you know, it's like a rare, it's just like one of those kind of in your face movies and stuff that just stick with you for a while. But, um, they still like they just don't really you know it's it's still nazis and stuff you know what i'm saying like <laughs> right we're just not there yet you know we weren't there in the 90s when these movies when uh early 2000s whenever the hell these movies came out came out we're not there now either no i i agree um and i think uh you know civil war might be a good starting point um if you yeah. want to sort of if you want to sort of get there yeah i think like you'd have to do it from like their perspective but they lose in the end you know what I'm saying? Right, like, that's right. the only way that I can, like, I think something about maybe like the war of 1812, like the revolutionary war, like from the British perspective and stuff. And like how like the, the war was unpopular and like, nobody really gives a shit. And these British soldiers are just coming over to fight. They really don't fucking care. And then all of a sudden they lose a war, you know, like, I think there's, there's some depth of the story in there, but like, there's no way in hell that you're walking into Hollywood, into Hollywood and sitting in front of a, a producer and, um, pitching them that script and they're not cutting you a check you know and yeah no not not in this climate not in this political climate with with actual nazis pretending that they're yeah um storming around in our states so yeah yeah there's there's too much anti-semitism in the world right now to to even consider doing that like i actually think that you'd be like ran the hell out of town by that producer just so like you couldn't spread that shit anywhere else (laughs) right all right um i went i went a little different route here um as opposed to like the other, it's it's obviously it's a war movie, but as opposed to like understanding like the enemy combatant side of it, um, mm-hmm. I want to go to the other side of like the psychological spectrum. Okay, and I want to see the descent into madness for Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Thank God you said that, dude. Like once you said that psychological thing, that's where I knew you were going, and I think that's a phenomenal idea. I, I, I want to see you know when he essentially first arrives in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And like, what? Where are all the tipping points that push him to, you know, essentially, you know, dereliction of, of his duties, and then just forming a cult, essentially yeah. a murderous cult that he is mm-hmm. in complete control of, and like how, you know, like the steps that got him there, and then mm-hmm. I like I, I envision this movie like ending because we know what happens after that. I envision this movie ending like between the first meeting between Kurtz and Willard. Where he gives him like the the Aaron boy um, line, like that's the end of the movie. Okay, okay. Like, are you talking like so? The end of the movie, just um, really quick. It's been a while since I've seen it, but is that the scene, the Aaron boy scene, where he's like, you don't see his face for like half of the time, or is that afterwards when he comes that's, up like in his fatigues and everything? No, that's like the, the it's you don't really see him for the most part, and then like, okay, the last part he's like really looking forward at you. Yeah, that's right. Okay, like the big reveal scene of Brando yeah. and everything in the movie. Okay, yep. like I said. I'm very, very happy, and um, thank you very much for uh, for having this thought, because this is absolutely fucking genius, and I'll tell you, Apocalypse Now is one of these movies, like, it's, it's a fantastic movie, don't get me wrong, but, like, 
the thing is, is that like Brando only comes in the end, you know, which I mean, it's, it's, it's storytelling. I get it, but we just well, don't get enough Brando. There's so many also, things. You want was, they were going to show him more, but he was also 50 pounds overweight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's the whole fiasco that happened with that whole thing too. And <laughs> yeah. just him turning into like a weirdo and stuff like that, you know? Yes. And yeah. no, but like, I agree with you. Like you, you just, in the beginning, you kind of get some information on Kurtz. You find he's like really like decorated, all this kind of stuff, you know, he's brought up a couple of times, like periodically throughout just to get a little more exposition on him. But like, I feel that it's one of those kind of roles where like, you just want to know so much exactly. more like, like the emperor in star Wars. Like you just kind of like, or Darth Vader, like you look at the bad guys and you just, you want to know like every single thing about them, like how they, and don't get me wrong. They attempted to tell the story in the prequels, but it, I still, no, right. absolutely. <laughs> right. but um, with this movie, like you just, there's so many questions that you have. It's just like, so what did Kurt do? Did he just like, was, was he just like showing up on a boat? Like, did he show up like all ragged and beat down and then they nursed him back to health and he just took over the call from there or did he just run into this group of people in the woods and like right off the bat, like kill their leader and stuff. And then the whole, like just uh, the other thing too, which I think would be really great to see is kind of like this descent into madness where like in the beginning he shows up like, you know, just clean cut and like army fatigues or like I said, he's all beat down or some shit like that. But then by the, you know, as progressively throughout the movie, he starts to get like more tribal and Mary, maybe he's starting to wear like their clothes mm-hmm. and stuff you know, like, and like, you know, you know, things like maybe he's like you know burning the american flag or like taking the american flag and waving it into something weird i don't know like but um i feel that there's so much room to do something really fucking great there dude and that's hands down is just a a phenomenal idea and it's it's a tough idea like this this would be like the hardest thing to accomplish because Mm -hmm. it's the the omission of information about kurtz is very purposeful um, yeah, because it does make him even more shadowy and intense and and scary. Like we yeah. get, we do get like a like early on we do get like one. I can't remember if it's, I can't remember if it's just one of Willard's like private dialogues, you know, his monologues with himself, or if it's the conversation with Harrison Ford, where they talk like this guy, this guy re after like his first deployment like in in Korea. He like re upped with like a new unit because he wanted to get back into war. Like he left his family to get back into war. So we get like these like hints along the way, like this guy's fucking insane. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like the trip, if you want to get like into some of like the symbolic stuff of, of, of finding Kurtz, like all of the stuff is just like, you know, like the, the, the set pieces are just like becoming more and more outlandish. They're, there's, you know, everything feels like scattered and different because it's, you know, that's like the sort of the trip down to like where we're, we have to find Kurtz and like this crazy, like in this state of craziness mm-hmm. and like it, boy, that would just be so hard to recreate on the other side and, and yeah. do it and do it justice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and do it justice. Right. And especially when you're coming with such a thing like apocalypse now, like there are people out there that believe that that's the definitive Vietnam war movie. You know I, what I'm saying? I, I'm like, in that boat actually. So, Oh, very nice. Very nice. Like I, I want to say it's, it carries so much more weight than Platoon. Like, I enjoyed Platoon, but, like, Apocalypse Now, I think just, like, there's something about it that, like, what Coppola does, Oliver Stone, like, just, you know, he, yeah, I know that they're kind of going for two different things, but I think, like, Coppola, like, really just gets, like, the struggle and the madness of the whole thing. I, like, I, think, I really do. I think it's, like, Coppola made a good war movie mm-hmm. for, like, any war. Yeah. Whereas this is, like, a signature movie that... It, very i mean obviously these things apply to a lot of a lot of conflicts but like this is very specific 
to mm-hmm. the the atmosphere that Vietnam. I mean, the craziness that that it, that Vietnam was. I mean, it. You, the, some of the stories you hear are fucking insane, and yeah, there is. There's probably no one way to like. There's probably no one way to tell. There isn't any one way to tell the story of Vietnam. It's such a long, drawn out war um, that we that we lost, folks. I don't know if people actually really understand that we lost that one. Um, but like, there was just. Like it had to be like a fever dream almost because that's you you talk to people that were you know you you talk to people that were involved in Vietnam and they like they they weren't right when they came back because it was so strange. Mm-hmm. Right, of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> so let's uh, let's let's move on from there unless you have any any other final thoughts on the war movies. Other than I really love that idea, dude. Let's totally move on for right. sure. Uh, next, our next question here: What modern and I. Cap this at like fifteen years. So like in the past fifteen years, what modern TV show would you redo, and like how would you like twist it to make it just like a little bit different than its predecessor? Okay, I think I'm within the radius. I think Third Rock from the Sun came off in like the early two thousand. So yeah, I think yeah, I fall. Yeah, you hit it. Okay, cool. So what I'm going for is the Third Rock from the Sun remake, and this is what this is how we're going to play this out here. So we're doing the whole like you know, aliens kind of thing or whatever, but we're changing up the dynamic here a little bit. Cause you know, this is a reboot show. And, um, in this one, it's the future. And there was a war with the aliens we lost. So now aliens are starting to colonize the earth and they're colonizing the earth rather like rapidly and stuff. And, um, you know, however they, you know, whatever they they have to like function in like life and stuff. So like aliens are now coming in, taking jobs, alien coffee shops, all this kind of stuff, alien neighborhoods. And now the humans move into an alien neighborhood, you know, however, whatever job, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, we're like so far into it that, um, that these people like kind of coexist now, you know, it's like Bojack Horseman where there's animals and right, humans, right, right. aliens and humans. Right. And the main characters are the human family trying to adjust to the alien world. And, uh, that's how I would, uh, reboot third rock from the sun. I dig it. I dig it. That would, that's your, your species flipping. I like it. Um, yes. yeah, no, that, that would be a fun one too, because it, like I, the fun obviously the fun of of Third Rock from the Sun was sort of like just the randomness with which they encounter modern you know modern human culture, right? Their, their takes on it. You could literally because it's alien culture, you mm-hmm. could literally do anything you want to. Yes, like exactly. You have a significantly wider palette to to have stuff to them react to. Right, like you know the humans go to an alien's house for dinner and the aliens are eating something like really fucking weird. You know, like it's like a live animal. Yeah, like, like devouring. Snakes. Like snake or something, you know, they're yeah. eating like footlong snake dogs or some shit like that, whatever they're, whatever they're eating. And, um, and yeah, like the, what came about this whole thing, and this has been this idea that I've been kind of obsessed with, even though I haven't like actually read any of this material. There's something out there called Ordinary Man, and it's a comic uh, series where the guy is a normal guy. But everybody else around him has superpowers. So, okay. like, you know, there's so like, you know, there's a handful of like normal people and stuff. So I've become really interested with like the whole like a big like situational flip. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where you're taking something and seriously just like making it the other way around. And um, I think that uh, something like this where humans having to adapt to aliens, I think, would be like something kind of like fresh, you know, and you, you could throw it however long you wanted to in the future for sure. 
And um, you could even kind of make it so because there was this giant war, technology didn't really advance all that much, you know, so you could still have like the iPhone 10 or whatever or something like that, you know, and mm-hmm. or maybe even you take it a step farther and like rich people have like alien technology phones, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you could do with it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that would be, that would be a fun, a fun sort of palette to paint however you wanted to. Like you, you really could, like if you wanted to make it like absurd, you could make it absurd. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it could be anything you want it to be. Yeah, definitely. How about you? What's your uh, reboot? Uh, boy. Uh, I went with Dexter. Um, we could do okay. a whole podcast on how to rewrite the last three seasons of Dexter. Great. Um, yeah, I'd be up for it anytime. I, and I would gladly do that to save, to save, to like, to try to wrap my head around what happened. But, um, so instead of so, the premise would still be the same. Dexter's still working in you know, at the Miami you know, crime lab as like a spatter analysis analyst, mm-hmm. um, and like the he was, but he was a serial killer. Like okay. he, you know, we're let's say we're like, you know, he's he had like you know ten fifteen kills or whatever under his belt, and you know through whatever like through, whether it was you know the one season he goes starts going to Narcotics Anonymous, um, and like maybe he does find a way to kick. That, um, you know, that, uh, what did you call it? His dark passenger in the show? Yes. He finds a way to actually, like, kick that. Mm-hmm. And so now the the point of the show is, you know, he's going on to crime scenes or whatever. And his whole job, his whole, like, purpose now is to find these, like, budding serial killers and murderers. And yeah. keep them from going down the path to becoming a serial killer. Whether Ooh. he's, like, helping them, you know, helping them along with, like, how he, you know, how he how he kicked this, uh, this temptation, mm-hmm. um, uh, helping, you know, probably in, in many cases, like hiding bodies and like helping him like get out of, you know, still like kind of co- you know, like he was in the show, like in the actual series, sort of mm-hmm. like subverting the police attempt to find him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's still doing that kind of stuff to like subvert the police's attempt to find like what's going on. And right. it's, he's sort of like a mentor basically trying to get these people, you know, help or whatever to, to stop, you know, like I, I almost imagine, like, and you could actually use it the same way. They kind of like you had like John Lithgow, you know, mm-hmm. you have like one like a list type actor, not a list, but you know, like a bigger name actor, and right. like he, that's his like that's his like um, his project for that season is to try to like rehab and get this guy off of killing people. Yeah, of course, and um, I think that's a really good way to go because the way that the show did go was not all that great. <laughs> I mean, like it fell apart, dude. I think like it was kind of like the. Um, I think the the ball of twine started to like unravel after the Trinity Killer season, oh, yes. which I think was like season four. Season right? four, yep. Four. Okay, so um, that's when we kind of like that's when the show was like you know the solid gold like trophy and everything, and then it started to like sort of erode just kind of gradually over time. And I think once once we found out once Deb found out that he was a serial killer, it just oh, there's nothing it, left then. There's yeah, nothing the, left. Yeah, I you know like. And the thing about Dexter and like this is what unfortunately the show kind of suffered from. And you okay, like in the first couple seasons, they really went all out. Like, you know, they had dokes like, you know, right on his right on his ass, like almost catching him and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And the show was very like internal. It was, you know, just kind of in between like these characters you had like you know these guest appearances and stuff like that but then in season three when uh jimmy smiths was in the cast jesus yeah so like so what happened was is then they became 
too reliant on the one guy, big star, the entire season. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was, so you had it with, you had it with Jimmy Smith, which was weird. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was weird, but the, um, some of the other stuff that was going on in that season kind of kept it afloat. You know what I'm saying? Like it kind of masked some of the other shit that was going on, Mm -hmm. especially Dexter was still killing people, all this other kind of stuff. And then like season four, I think they just got really lucky and everything kind of came together. Like there was just absolutely no way in hell that, um, season four was like going to be, be viewed as bad. Like it was so great. It's probably like one of the best seasons of the show period. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then like, and then after that, it was just like, okay, so you have what is Julia child now is the main focus of the season. And then you have as Edward J. Momos and Colin Hanks after that. And then I don't even know what the fuck they it, decided to go that route after that. But um, it, just, it just became too focused on like that. Right. Right. Like the, the internal tension over whether or not this guy's going to get caught how he has to interact day to day with these people who are looking for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that, that was like, you know, like I, I put season four for sure is like their best season. And then yeah. season two, when Dokes is looking for him is their second yeah. best season. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like it, it's, as they moved on, like so much of that got drained out of like that internal tension got drained out of the show because yeah. you're really not even worried about Dexter getting caught anymore. I mean, like there's, yeah, you know, his main nemesis is gone everyone mm-hmm. likes him and believes him. So there's no reason for him to really feel, you know, that much pressure. Right. Um, and then, and obviously <laughs> there, even, and even in the good seasons, if you will, this show was also so, it was like wildly uneven. Like you had some really gotcha. great episodes and garbage episodes, even in some of their better seasons. And I gotcha. That just got even more exacerbated as the show went on. Like the bad episodes got really bad. And there were some good episodes, but not great, but they looked great in comparison to some of the garbage they're throwing out. Um, man, like, I just, I, I just want to redo Dexter altogether. Um, yeah. I guess here's, here's one thing I'm glad they didn't do though. Um, the, the books that the, this character is based on, the show's based on. Yeah. Um, his dark passenger is actually a demon. Okay. Which would have totally ruined what the show was going for. If they actually no, if they went that route, I mean that would be terrible. Yeah, and like they tried to do like the they personified it a little bit with like Harry's ghost coming yeah, back his, and talking to him and yeah. stuff like which I thought which I thought was okay, but which I didn't fun. no fucking demon shit here. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like what they should have actually done, and this like they shouldn't have swung for the I know like they shouldn't have swung for the fences so early. They should have like reversed course, and they should have started like this whole like Jimmy Smith and John Lithgow and all that shit in the beginning, and then turned the show in the direction to more how it was when it started. And I know that they were kind of trying to do that, but it just didn't work with the whole dead thing and stuff. So they they should have like kind of like done a 180 retrospectively and cut like three seasons off. And then, and then your, your last season is the season or or at the very least your second to last season is the season with, with dokes trying to chase him down. Yeah. And like, that's another thing too, is like Showtime, obviously like trying to, they're still trying to make a name for themselves. Like Showtime TV is really good and it's got a lot of good shows, but it's still not viewed the same way as HBO, which is pretty much like everything they have as a hit, you know, like, and, um, you could tell that, um, Showtime, like, I kind of think like felt the pressure to like really launch something. And then that's when things just kind of started to go to hell. You're right. You're right. They have good shows and they need to like, they need to sort of like invest themselves in like not being HBO. Like, right. 
that needs to be a bigger thing. Like, hey, come watch Penny Dreadful. It's a weird show, but it's a really, it's really well done, really well yeah. acted, and it's fun. Like, it's yeah, nothing like a, that's what's on HBO. Like, they need to counter, I don't know, counter market themselves. I guess. Yeah, exactly. It, it, totally. Um, <clears throat> so let's uh, let's move on here to our last one before we get into uh, some more detail, <clears throat> some more detailed stuff. Uh, your dream cover song. You know, get, so okay. give me the original and who you want to cover it. Okay. I got a, this whole thing. Let me, the one that I'm going to do, like, it's just a really kind of brief thing. That's like only a sure. handful of people are going to know about, but I got to talk about this really quick. Cause like the cover song is actually something that I think is, um, as far as reboots and everything go, is kind of like now becoming like a staple reboot almost okay. like, and there are certain songs that, you know, are cover songs, but we, you know, are more familiar with like the, the more, you know, the more recent right. version of the song. Right. So like a, a prime example is, um, the black crow is hard to handle. Like, you know, this song, like, Hey, little thing, Linda light your candle. Like, um, we know this as the black crows and I'm pretty confident that from now on that song is going to be referred to as a black crow song, but it's actually a notice writing song. It's been covered by the dead and it's been covered by all these people like, mm-hmm. you know, like going all throughout time, but the black crows one, you know, may, you know, if you guys want to have the debates on which is the actual better of the song, but like realistically the black crows are going to be remembered for that song. Sure. And, um, the, um, another, like a good example is ain't too proud to beg. We all know the Rolling Stones one. We mm-hmm. still hear the temptations one on the radio every now and then. Um, but it's obviously the stones, um, and believe me, th- there's a long ass list, but I was going to give you two examples. And I wanted to tell you this humorous anecdote um, while it had sprung into my mind. Sure. Um, so Nirvana has got two of these songs. There's two cover songs that Nirvana does. One is um, Lake of Fire and the other one is The Man Who Sold the World. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man of Fire or Lake of Fire is a uh, meat puppet song like, you know, that ba- backwater, like early 90s, okay. like Northwestern grunge, wherever the right, hell they're right, from. Right. They're all part of that, all part of that whole movement there. Right. And then, um, obviously the man who sold the world, David Bowie, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's just David Bowie's the fucking man. We've had many talks about Bowie on the show. So, um, the Nirvana version of the man who sold the world, I think is going to end up being when people think the man who sold the world, that's the song that they're going to be thinking about. Right. And I, think um, I right, yeah. yeah, I actually didn't know that the man who sold the world was a cover song until this one night in 2002 or 2003 and this is like just what i for some reason anytime i have the opportunity to work this story in somewhere i'll tell it because it's kind of weird and funny like all at the same time so um it was like you know right out of high school like senior year um one night uh me and like i can't remember who the hell this was because i only drove around and smoked weed with them once because that's obviously all you did in high school is just get in your car and drive around and smoke right, weed and stuff yeah, nothing else to do. Um, so it was me. I was in the back seat, and there were like these two other people. Like I said, this is the only time I drove around and smoked with them. And uh, we're listening to a mix CD. And the driver um, is like really loving the mix CD. You know, he throws shows me. It's like, oh, my name's whatever it is. This mix is written on there and stuff. And um, you know, we're driving around for like a half an hour. So like a lot of the songs that are on there are kind of like current to the time. So you know, it was like um, like. J-Lo and Ja Rules, like I'm Real, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like maybe like some boy bandy type thing out there that was pop music or something like in sync or some shit like that. Um, like Ashanti and like Kelly Rowland, like, you know, like that kind of stuff. Nelly and everything. Mm-hmm. So 
we're in the middle of this mix CD. And I am telling you, like, I literally just heard like, um, like a Nelly song or whatever it was. And then the next song that comes on is the David Bowie version of the man who sold the world. And that's very this guy's, out of place in this mix. CD. Yeah. This dude's loving it. And like, I'm, I'm like, for some reason, like I'm now, now just put it together that Nirvana's covering this song, you know, that this mm. is actually a David Bowie song. And I was like, I asked him, I'm like, you like the song? He's like, dude, this shit's my jam. And he knew all the fucking words. And like, it's seriously, we're going from like, you know, early 2000s pop music to the David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World. And then we're going back to early 2000s pop music. It was one of like the weirdest experiences uh, as far as like mixed CD wise uh, go that I could possibly recall. So I just had to put that out there being that um, we were talking about cover songs and everything. So um, my one that I'm really like hoping for, and I actually believe that will happen. um, There's a band called Against Me. They're kind of like a thrash anarchist like punk mm-hmm. band out of uh, Gainesville or Tallahassee one of the like the hillbilly section of Florida um and they've gained a lot of like popularity the lead singer um went recently went through a transformation and now is known as Laura Jane Grace and um they've really like kind of kind of like reinvented themselves as a band um over the last couple of years and they've generated some really really great material and um their kind of breakout album was that this album called Transgender Dysphoria Blues, and on it is this one song called Two Coffins. It's like this two-minute-and-30-second-long like acoustic song. It's, um, it's the one acoustic song out of a thrash punk album, so you're like literally like in like you know just one great thing after another, loud distortion in your face, and there's just this like really slow melodic song in the middle of the album before you know before it eventually closes, and. Um, this out this song I feel would be covered incredibly by this artist named Nico Case, who's a um, kind of like an alternative country singer. Okay, she's she was with this band called the New Pornographers, who's kind of like this Canadian supergroup of like various musicians and projects and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, Nico Case just has this like really like phenomenal voice, and there's something that's kind of like really beautiful and haunting about her voice at times which I think would just ultimately match up with the motif of this song, Two Coffins, which is about, like, you know, people dying together, you know, like the, like the relationship being taken to the grave kind of situation. And um, I tweeted it at her. She has not gotten back to me, however, it was a couple of years ago. So I can only hope that if she is ever, like, just experimenting with what would be a good cover song, Two Coffins by Against Me would be a great Nico Case cover. Interesting. Very interesting. I dig it. You know, it's it, it's... I, I, have you scoured YouTube perchance to see if there if there's any any outside chance that the, that that song has been covered by them? I I by haven't. And I feel that like if it did exist, be, you'd one, know about it. One of like the four or five dozen music publications I follow on Twitter would have posted something gotcha. about it. And I I follow her on Twitter too, and um, like. I, I just I would know about this. Like I, I think that this would be something that I would know about this. And I've I've Googled like the song before on YouTube and it's just pretty much like the against me version or the against me version with the lyrics, maybe somebody caught it live mm-hmm. kind of situation. But um uh she and like a couple other of these like alternative country singers, like there's like Casey Musgraves is another example, they do cover songs of like you know, like alternative rock stuff. Like Casey Mus- Casey Musgraves does an incredible cover of Weezer's Islands on the Sun. Hmm. It's fucking amazing. And um, 
because like you know they're our age so like those are the songs they got brought up with you know like it's you know carrie underwood may own like a couple johnny cash albums and stuff like that and i'm sure she's heard it all her life but her you know influences probably lie in like the shania twain like the people that really mean something to her you know Mm -hmm. no that's that's a really interesting i've never that's something i had to investigate on my own because i'm not like not a big against me fan so i mean i'm familiar but not super familiar I think you would like against me in the gym. Fuck yeah, dude! It's some it's some good shit to throw uh, throw on a, pay, a playlist for sure. No, no all right, I'm I'm down for it, man. I'm down down to clown around. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I won't go into any ICP stuff. Uh, I promise. Uh, so <laughs> I went I went with the with the age old argument um, that that every rock fan has: uh, Beatles mm-hmm. versus Rolling Stones. Okay. And I found two of my songs, two of the songs I love most by both of them. And mm-hmm. so this is like, I'm kind of cheating on this, but it's fine because oh. it's a dream cover. I'm allowed to dream. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I've actually seen it recently uh, on YouTube, um, the Rolling Stones covering Come Together. Okay. This is very recent, like from one of their, whatever their most recent like big stadium tour was, like maybe 2015? Yeah, that's actually when I saw, I saw them in okay. Columbus at that time. Yeah. Okay. They covered, they ended up, they covered Come Together and it just, eh, eh, like they're 70 years old. Um, they're just not in their prime anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have seen 1970s Rolling Stones jam out hard to come together. Like, I want to hear what that would have sounded like 40-some years ago. Yeah, of you know, course. With the energy in it, the, the, the you know, you know for, I'll give Mick Jagger all the credit, Mick Jagger all the credit in the world, and the Stones all the credit in the world, for still being energetic fucking mm-hmm. septuagenarians. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, they're, they're so far past their prime. That like if just their shows are different than they would have been when they're you know forty years ago they're they're when they're playing to eighty thousand people. Yeah, of course. Um, It'd be a whole other energy and like they would do. It would be a whole other just I don't know like a whole other level of flavor from Mick Jagger right. that um, they're not going to get these right. days. Exactly. But I think the more important part of this little like crossover would be I want to hear I would like my dream cover would be the Beatles covering Wild Horses. Like, oh, wow. Hands down, one of my favorite songs of all time. And something that, you know, considering like the whole, you know, like the Beatles versus versus Stones argument, they really don't have a lot of music that I feel a lot of, a lot of songs that cross over directly, like that you would mm-hmm. feel like that they would like, oh, this feels like a Stone song. This feels like a Beatles song. There's, you know, they are quite different. Yeah. But I feel like these two songs are probably like the closest we're going to get. Okay. And I feel like Wild Horses especially, it feels almost like a song that the Beatles would have written. No, definitely, dude. Like, especially, like, towards the later end of the Beatles, mm-hmm. like, when they became a little bit more experimental. Like, yeah. I could, you know, like, it's funny because I could, out of all the Rolling Stones songs, like, you know, and I'm not talking about the, the earlier stuff, like Time is on My Side or anything right. like that, but because I, I do believe the Beatles could have written those songs. But, like, for the, the songs that I that the stones are going to be remembered for, which is like the, the like later sixties and seventies mm-hmm. part of their career. Um, I do think that wild horses is probably like the one song that I could see the Beatles have having written, you know? Yeah. And what's crazy is like the, the song that like, I think the rolling stones would like really crush out of the park would be uh, revolution. Number nine from the Beatles. Ooh, like, good call actually. Yeah. Good call. That's that, that has something about it too. Like that. I could just see Mick Jagger, like really, really, crushing you yeah. know 
and like dude i'll tell you like i i've seen the rolling stones i've seen them twice um i did see them in 2015 and then i saw them um earlier like in like 2003 or 2004 or something like that they played uh the queue mm-hmm. and um they had one of those like stages set up in the middle of the, uh, the queue and it was like one of the first times i'd ever seen that dude like i'd never seen the stage in the middle of the audience thing where they walk across and stuff mm-hmm. and um at one point in time they go out to this section and they play like a Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan's like a Rolling Stone. And dude, this like it just like it, there's something about this moment that just like touched me, you know, because like it seems like something that the Rolling Stones would have done would be to cover this song. Mm-hmm. But it never actually entered into my mind that they would do it until I saw it live. And like a Rolling Stone, like I think is one of like Bob Dylan's best, best songs. Mm-hmm. And um, seeing them covering it was just like it's one of those moments that like sticks with you forever, you know. No, dude, absolutely. I think there's, and I think, and, and for me, part of this like mystique um, of, of this particular crossover, like we never the the Beatles, we never, you know, obviously they covered they covered plenty of other artists, um, but like we, you know, because their their tenure was so short, um, we missed out on them kind of of being able to do this kind of stuff later in their later in their lives, or you know, you know what I mean? Like the, we, we'll yeah. never know. We'll just never know yeah. what this would have sounded like. I know, man. And like, that's something that you and I could talk about for hours as to what it would be like if the Beatles like got back together and stuff. And I remember like we were talking like about how I I believed that they would have gotten back together in time in like one of our earlier discussions. And uh, it's just like, I don't know, man, it's just a really incredible discussion to see. Like if number one, if the the Beatles would have stood the test of time, you know, like who knows, maybe the Beatles would be on the rib burn off circuit today, even though I highly doubt it. But uh you know what? I, the Beatles would have—they would have broken up and say broken up anyway. But I, I think you—you might have like later on in life when when these guys are you know were approaching their like sixties, you might have been able to get them to do something you know, like a one night only something like televised worldwide. Yeah, I gotcha. I, I totally gotcha. Yeah, like it's weird. Like I don't—I know about like them breaking up, and I know some of the the kind of the stuff that follows it and everything, but mm-hmm. like part of me eventually sees John Lennon just like caving. Like I, you know, I, there's just something about it that I see. I don't even see him and Yoko Ono making it to this day to be oh, honest. Oh no, no, no way. There's no way. And, and like, I just feel that like, um, you know, eventually like his solo career and stuff like that, he's still going to be an incredible and incredibly famous musician. But I just think at some point in time they would have caved. He, it and, happened. And he and Paul were too good of friends. They were too yeah. good of friends to not, at least like attempt something together at some point in time down the road. Yeah. At some point, dude, like, don't you just like, like if you were them, like, wouldn't you like just look back and be like, man, look what, what, look at what we created. Like, how can you not say that this wasn't special? Mm -hmm. You know, why, how could you not want to be a part of this? You know, absolutely. All right, gentlemen, let's, uh, let's jump into, um, something a little more specific, like our, our, our own ideas for, uh, you know, for, like, projects that we would want to reboot. Um, no, there's no, like, limit here. Like, it doesn't have to be a TV show or, mo- you know, anything you want. It could, it could be a book. Um, it could be an album. It could be anything. So I'll let you, if you want, go ahead and, and start us off with, like, a, a unique, or it shouldn't say unique, but uh, uh, an older property that you want to see, you know, shined up again for, for the masses. Okay. So um, thank you very much. I'll definitely leave this off. So, okay. Um it hits me uh, a couple of days ago um, as we kind of doing some preparation for this, like what I, what I would want to talk about. And what I want to talk about is 
there are all kinds of like intellectual properties from our youth um, that are, you know, really dark and twisted and stuff that the movie industry has kind of like touched up and kiddied up a little bit to, you know, make more appealing to the masses. Mm -hmm. And now that we're older, I feel that there is going to be an audience to make some of these projects the way that they were originally intended to be made. And um, the thing that I'm going to bring up for our discussion is The Mask, the 1995 movie with Jim Carrey, 96, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. The Mask was actually a comic book series. And uh, the comic book series, um, like, first, he first appeared in 1987. And um, then he kind of had, like, a run. uh, Let me see here. So he had this run from... um, Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, it was that like, so kind of like a, um, I don't know, like kind of like a little bit of like some runs here and there, like just n- nothing too crazy, but, uh, 1991, like the series was, uh, you know, kind of what well, I'm sorry. I should have actually looked at this up more. I'm trying to like piece together some of this, um, stuff online as I'm talking and it's not working out. So just know that, um, for time, stall for time. Yeah, so, so, so uh, <clears throat> just know that, um, it's kind of started up in the eighties, the movies hit in the nineties and then in some way, shape or form, the graphic novel has kind of like been carried on in some way, whether it be limited runs, the character appearance, whatever, whatever the hell. Okay. So mm-hmm. long story short is that, um, the mask is like really, really, really violent. It was a dark horse comic. So dark horse comics did like alien versus predator and, um, the aliens series and predator series. Like they did all like the, uh, kind of like really graphic and intense comics that where there was like swearing in and stuff and like, you know, just really like hardcore shit mm-hmm. that was like dark. So the mask was on this and, um, it was just like really, you know, a lot darker than what we got in the movie. Like the dude was a killer. There was like bank robbery and stuff. Um, you know, he still has like the mask and everything like that. So like, you know, we still have the whole thing with like it giving him the powers and like the green face and everything like that. But the dude is like more of like a, uh, more of like a psychopath than he is like a lovable banker trying to find love. (laughs) And, um, I think that now is the time to like tell these kinds of stories the way they were meant to be told. And, um, I think the mask is a really, really good place to start. There's something about the movie that has kind of lasted over time. Like, you know, uh, early Jim Carrey stuff, like is always going to kind of be nostalgic on us, you know, I, maybe in some ways um, more than Adam Sandler, but in some ways, obviously not depending on whichever the movie you're talking about mm-hmm. is. But uh, Jim Carrey's also been like one of those actors that we've had the opportunity to kind of grow with him throughout the course of our lives. And um, the Jim Carrey we know now is obviously way different than the Jim Carrey we knew 25, 30 years ago. And, I think that, like, you know, people our age are going to remember the mask, you know, and and thus creating, like, an audience for it. But also knowing that it's rooted in a comic somewhere could attract, like, the, you know, like, a little bit more of an audience, like the the regular comic book movie audience. And they could aim for something kind of like Deadpool, where it's like this comedy, you know, kind of anti-hero type that – you know, goes around the city and like, you know, 
kills people, robs banks and stuff, but maybe does it for a good cause or he's got some kind of crutch over him that makes him do it. Like mm-hmm. something like along those lines, maybe it's an internal struggle between him and the mask, you know, like whatever you, however you want it, you, however you want to put it. So, um, writer wise, you know, like obviously my dream situation would be for Tarantino to write a movie like this, even though I know that it's, um, that it's never, ever, ever going to happen. But um, who I would actually pen to uh, do a movie like this, just let me find out uh, this person's name really quick, because they just got hired on to do DC's Flashpoint. It is um, John Francis Daly and Josh Goldstein. They're the two people that wrote Horrible Bosses. Okay. And um, I believe they also wrote The Office Christmas party. All these movies are kind of the same. Like, yeah, um, yeah. so they wrote Vacation, Horrible Bosses Two, Bird Wonderstone. Um, so, like, there's something about these guys that I think could do a really good job with uh, this with this particular comic. Um, and if for some reason Flashpoint tanks and they're looking for work, I think that this would be something that's a that's a prime opportunity to uh, to reboot for more of a modern audience the way that it should be, kind of like the way they did with Stephen King's hit. That dude, that would be really like I'm I'm envisioning this as like almost like some kind of combination of American Psycho mm-hmm. and um, I'm trying to think of like a, a kind of an off the wall like superhero. Like American Psycho and like the Tick, kind oh, of okay. being squished together. Yeah, and like it's really fascinating um, to sort of explore. Like I actually the the, the thing that stood out, like the thing that I like the most that you went they went through there, sort of like you know, sort of like the like this. I could see it as like he's alternately doing good things or bad things, and like mm-hmm. it is him versus the mask. So like some. At some points in time, he's controlling all of his powers, and he can yeah. you know do things for good. Other times, the mask is controlling him to do whatever he wants, whatever it wants to do. And like right. I, I see this like that being like the central thing, um, mm-hmm. and like maybe even like it, it begins to bleed over. You know, like there's there's like bleed over into like his everyday life, and, and like it, it. There's a lot of possibilities you open up there that I think that that would be a, like a really fascinating thing to bring to bring back. No, thank you, and like I um. I'm try- I can't really think of like who I would pick to be like the ideal actor for it. Like, I think that it has to be somebody that can like have a really really animated face. And the thing that's coming into my mind right now as we speak um, is this guy Cameron Monaghan, who um, he was on Shameless. He played uh, one of the characters on Shameless, who uh, which I know will come back to me here in a little bit. But um, um. He was also the the character of Jerome in Gotham. He was like the, I don't know if you've ever seen any trailers for it, but there's like this kid that they were kind of setting up to be the Joker, um, but we don't really know if it ever is the Joker. And uh, he's kind of, he's in all these like publicity stills and stuff. And I think that he has like he, Ian is Ian in Shameless. Um, he has like the face forward and like that that kind of what I want, like the ability to go from like kind of like normal looking to like really really crazy looking. The the problem is is that like I haven't seen anything on from him that really like you know that uh, that where that anger and craziness is like not 
like you know made up for the sake of comics like i want that like inner craziness kind of thing like i don't want like what i see on like gotham like i would really want to know what it would be like if that guy was like actually like taking a hostage situation like the real like craziness not you know not like okay we need you to be the joker act like how you think the joker would act at age 20 you know mm-hmm. something interesting i can i can i suggest a, a director for this Go for it. Well, two directors? Yeah. The Coen brothers. Um, oh, are dude. You, are you familiar with Barton Fink? I know about this movie, but I have not seen it. It's, it, it's sort of a, it's sort of, you know, and it, up your alley, it's about this guy going through writer's block and, like, it, how this, like, more, more or less, like, drives him to insanity. And okay. just the Coen brothers are good at, at creating, like, these sort of um, unique visual, like, every movie they do has, like, a unique visual style to it. Uh-huh. And and they're they're really good at at sort of accentuating their characters like to weird degrees, and I yeah. think that like they would be perfect to sort of helm this this sort of remake. Oh fuck yeah, dude! I could totally see that. And they had the ability to do like the the comedy, comedy part of it too, yeah. and like also like with with their movies like their brand of comedy is like really unique. And if we're going to do a movie like this, I want it to be like as unique as possible. Like not in an Aaron Sorkin kind of way, but in like more of like a Coen brothers kind of way where like some of the humor is like, you know, is like visually or it's like through like a, a character contrast, like, like Walter and everything like that, you know, this big ass fucking crazy dude who's like strict on the Sabbath, you know what I'm saying? Like those kind of like character uh, contrasts, like, I think that they would be the idea, the, the ideal people to like really pull it off, and especially like sell you on like the human side of the mask. Like mm-hmm. I think that they would have an ability to like really have the audience get behind a character that you know puts on this mask and does horrible things. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's dude. That's some. You know, it, isn't it funny how like some of these, some of these like little like these little gems that we remember from our childhood, like. Now that we're older, and, and you know, not everyone thinks the same way you and I do, but you know, you, you think about these things in retrospect. It's just like, man, there's like they could have gone to weird places with this if they, if yeah. they really wanted to. This, oh could yeah, have, you could have you could have made the mask an absolute horrific, you know, like blood curdling horror movie if you wanted mm-hmm. to go that direction with it. I mean, it's there. Yeah. Oh, dude, I read this article. Like, this I think is absolutely fantastic. So, like. Darren Aronofsky at one point in time pitched a Batman movie to Warner Brothers, and um, I'm, I'm assuming this had to be like either uh, in transition of Batman and Robin to Batman Begins or The Dark Knight Rises into Batman vs Superman. Mm-hmm. But he pitched this idea of like Batman being like really fucking dark and nitty gritty. Yeah, stuff. actually, like, yes, yeah, and I, I actually read the same article. I think that you're, yeah, yeah. And he's driving around in like a Lincoln Town Car or something like that, like just some bat batted out Lincoln Town Car type thing, and walking around to all these like shitty neighborhoods and just like outright punishing fucking people and yes. stuff, like like that right there. I think that 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 is so unique and so fucking genius, but like it's ju- it's just not happening in this uh, day and age. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I, yeah. Now I'm like, now I'm like, well, hey, now I have to like go try to find like some mask clips on, on YouTube and then like, boy, you know what, you know, it's funny because if Jim Carrey were younger, you could have uh-huh. Jim Carrey do this again. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he would be great at it again. Can you imagine like if you would have t- like, um, had Jim Carrey like really go all out back then, 
Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know. If, like, I personally think that, like, who knows if Ace Ventura 2 would have even have happened if he had done this in the 90s instead of the, the mask as we know it. Right, right, right. I just do. That's fascinating. I, I that's, that's, I, I'm, you know, I know they've done, they did, like, Son of Mask. Um, and yeah, wasn't there a Jamie TV show Kennedy. for, like, a minute? Uh, I would not be surprised, dude. Like, Jamie Kennedy, I know, was the, the in the movie or whatever, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. dog dotted or whatever. It's the. Yeah, it's, it's so just, but it's so it's so typical that they that they take something and, and if I'm you know by the way if I'm remembering the mask correctly because it's been a while since I've seen it I mean it, yeah it was definitely a little it was definitely more on like the family friendly side but there was still like some kind of like darkness to oh, it. oh oh Dorian the the villain was dark as shit dude yeah. like there's a whole scene where he puts a a golf tee in somebody's mouth you That's know right. and like goes and hit a golf ball and then Does also he clip like my fingers. I believe so too. Yes, I, yeah. th- I think that there's something like that in there. And then what what is also crazy is that the image of him in the mask is incredibly fucking frightening, especially when he first puts it on and you see what he looks like in the mask. That's a pretty fucking frightening shit for like you know people our age and everything. So mm-hmm. like, and you know also like the dude is like a CD like nightclub owner and shit like that, and he's trying to like hook up with Cameron Diaz and stuff. You know, it's like it's pretty dark at times. Yeah, but it's just not. As dark as the comics, right, right. But it's just it's just so typical that that's something that even like even that even a comedy like you know an, an overt comedy, um, mm-hmm. they still manage to baby it down even more to make it even more palatable, so they can make even more yeah. money. Like it's just it's so fucking typical, and mm-hmm. you know like even if they even if you had just stayed with the same vision, um, you know, as the first one, you know, you, it, it's still it, you know it's still significantly more adult and more interesting than what the hell they did with it. So. Mm-hmm. I'm just imagining, like, in the new version, like, that whole scene where he's being rumba peed and dancing, and then, like, all the cops are in a conga line, and he just blows them all away, you know? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's really good, dude. I like that. All right, so what I'll, about uh, you? What's your, uh, what's your uh, first one? So I, I'm, I'm thinking, because this has been a movie and a TV show, um, but in particular uh, an anime. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. I've got to take a sip here. Um, it was most recently a movie, um, but like it, it's it's famous for for maybe being Japan's most you know most widely recognized um, export in terms okay. of entertainment, or one of their most widely recognized exports. But uh, Speed Racer, okay, um, started back in the '60s as a manga, which is just a Japanese yeah. comic, mm-hmm. um, and it really stylistically set the tone for a lot of cartoons and mangas going and and, and regular comic books going forward for quite yeah. a long time. Um, uh, and it's, it's a really interesting sort of like when you, when you read more about speed racer, it's kind of interesting because like, there's really like a bare bones story to it. It's just go Mifune or I guess Mifune go, um, in Japanese, just racing and occasionally like, you know, being saved by the mysterious racer X. Um, and then like he hangs out and does fun stuff with his family and, and chim chim the chimp. Yeah. Um, there's really, really not much. I mean, there's story to it, but mm-hmm. considering like how culturally, I mean, this you know, this is one of those things that is like known in every country in the world, basically. Yeah. And it's interesting, like how like bare bones the story is. Mm-hmm. And when they tried to give it a story, um, with the you know they they made a movie out of it in 2008, eight, eight I believe maybe 2007. Yeah, with the Emil Hirsch, it was the Wachowskis. Yeah, yeah, the Wachowskis yeah. back when they were still the brothers. And now they're Correct. just the Wachowskis because they're both women now. Um, anyway, yes. uh, it, they tried to give it a story, and it involved like um, 
uh, it involved Speed Racer having to like join some kind of like race circuit to try to like um, to try to um, uncover like various forms of corruption within like the racing business. Mm-hmm. And it, it also involves his uh, his brother's death and, and the mysterious Racer X, but it was like garbage. It was mm-hmm. for sure. It was a, an interesting vision. I mean, it, it feels, and I'm sure it was supposed to feel like a cartoon. Yeah, supposed you know it's live action. It was supposed to feel definitely supposed to feel like a cartoon. Right. Um, and it also gets back to the whole like I guess we didn't have as much cultural sensitivity back then. But last time I checked, all those people in the movie were white. And yeah. none of the people in any of the original material are white. Of course. Um, so, you know, like, if, if if this were to happen now, if they were to make a Speed Racer now, and it was announced that Emil Hirsch was Speed Racer, I don't think that would go over very well. Absolutely um, not. So I think, so on two fronts here, I would I think this would be a, an interesting live TV, a live TV adaption, not, a, not an anime. Um, and then, obviously, like, giving actual Asian characters, Asian actors and Asian characters their due... Um, I, I think that like that you know you get to sort of like kind of I don't want to say like right or wrong, but you keep in spirit with what the whole point of the damn the damn source material is. Yeah, of course. So I'm I'm sort of picturing. Are you how familiar are you with Speed Racer? By the way, I used, I'm, I I used to like I became a fan of this because back when FX was in its infancy, they used to play this all the time in the mornings. No way. Yeah. Okay. I've seen episodes of it. I'm not entirely like familiar with, but I'm aware of like the, you know, the imagery and stuff like yeah. that, and like, the general principle okay. and everything for sure. So I'll, I'll just give you like a brief synopsis, and that would kind of like serve as like the, the basis of like a live show. Um, okay. So like obviously he's just obviously a race car driver and a family of race car drivers and, and mechanics and whatever else, mm-hmm. and. Um, there, there's various obstacles. Like, there's other drivers out to get him because he's regarded as like the best driver. Um, but like, really, his older brother Rex was the best driver. And then okay. at some point in time, his um, their father he wrecks one of their one of their father's like specialty cars. Okay. And um, in some versions of it, uh, he dies in this wreck. And in other versions of it, he, he's just like cast out of the family for like fucking up his dad's car, which yeah. seems a little ridiculous, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, he just disappears. And throughout the throughout the course of the show, there's um, they just he just goes by Racer X. He, I th- think he has like a fully black uniform, and like his car is red, I believe. But um, okay. Racer X always goes out of his way to try to help to try to help Speed Racer win. And he usually does it like peril to himself, where like he finishes second. And mm-hmm. it turns out, like you know, years later through the the course of the manga, and then like the the cartoon afterwards. It turns out that Racer X is actually his brother, Rex Racer. Okay. So I'm I'm sort of picturing a, a scenario that's very similar, like where you know maybe maybe uh, Speed Racer is like he's not even racing yet at this point, and his brother dies in a car accident, and there's like mysterious circumstances around it, and so we get this, you know, we, we flash forward like five, seven, eight, ten, whatever years later to when he's like old enough to be to be driving, and he's also a professional racer, pretty accomplished, and. Mm-hmm. However, you know, however you want to introduce this, like, sort of mystery, like, he's, he's trying to find, like, the, um, you know, the, the people that, maybe his brother's death wasn't an accident. Someone set him up to die, like another racer or whatever. Yes, so of course. The show then becomes him racing in this circuit, you know, maybe he was, maybe he's an amateur racer, maybe he wasn't even that interested in it, but he becomes interested in it upon learning that his brother might have been killed, and then tries to, mm-hmm. you know, we spend the show with him, like, Going through like the racing circuit and also trying to find out who his brother's killer is. 
Yeah, of course. Of course, dude. And then totally works. And like, um, I like it because it does add a little bit more depth than just like, hey, there's a show like about racing and stuff right. where everything comes down to a race in some fashion, even like, you know, from the from when he's first learning how to do it again, you know, maybe mm. he gets in a street race and proves himself or something right. like that. And it, it was something like having investigating his brother's death going into that, I think, gives you not only another side to the character, but a whole different side to the story as well. Mm-hmm. And then you're also leaving the door open for plenty of like things to happen to him along the way while investigating his brother's death. Like, you know, he can, like you say, like expose things like corruption within the racing circuit or, you know, somebody's got a, a side business of like right. running drugs or girls or something like that, you know, and right. uh, you could get like you know, really, really dark with it and like have it be more of like a, you know, kind of like a more of a modern thing and even maybe give him some stuff. Maybe he's got some problems himself too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like you could, you could even, even if you wanted to do like the whole, you know, there's, there's gotta be a racer X because like he is like the secondary character um, in in the, in the cartoon of the manga. Um, So you could even do it. You could even do it. Like maybe that is his brother. And, you know, he just doesn't know it. Like, he, you know, he was, it was a terrible mm-hmm. accident. He didn't actually die. He was, you know, whatever. You can make up what, however you want to do that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, he's being controlled by some other, you know, by some big racing company or whatever. You know, they're making him do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, however you want to do it. And not only that, like, I think the thing that they missed out on with the, with the, with the movie adaptation, because it was so cartoony, um, it, like, none of, the, none of the action felt yeah. real. I got you. And I like I'm imagining this, uh, you know, like I'm imagining like real car crashes and like real, you know, they're they're tearing up like city streets and stuff like that. Like I'm imagining it being actually pretty thrilling if you do it right. Mm hmm. Yeah, some of that anime stuff like that, and you know, having it making it feel like a cartoon. If that was done today, like if, let's just say they're working on the movie right now, which I'm guarantee they probably are. Probably are. Yeah. That's how it's going to be. It's going to be like real live action stuff with no CGI whatsoever. Like it's going to be like more intense and more of an actual like in your face kind of approach to uh, to this kind of racing and everything like that. You know, like the um, let's just say like the the track is multicolored or something like that in the in the, the cartoon, you know, right. they'll they'll subtly work it in where like just the starting line is the color scheme for the right, track. Exactly. You know? exactly. And, Exactly. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about for sure. Yeah. Well, there was I don't like there was like there was like in in the in the 2008 movie there was like loop de loops and like spikes and shit that came in like it just shit was yeah. like it was like a sensory overload. I mean, again, it was a vision that they saw through, but you know it was just it was like too much. And I think if you like ground it, because even mm-hmm. like even the cartoon isn't like that wild. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not like right. that crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you ground it a little bit, it could be, it could be something that's like really fun. Yeah, of course. Oh, definitely dude, for sure. And you could also like, like I said, bring like a chance to add some real like depth and everything to the character in case mm-hmm. you want to make it into a franchise. Absolutely. And then, uh, just, I quickly, my, my one, my singular casting choice here, or I should say my, my two casting choices here, uh, Steven Yoon of Walking Dead fame gets to be a speed racer. Okay. And then, uh, are you familiar with another AMC show called Badlands? I am not. It's actually kind of fun, like just okay. to check out every now and then. I don't even know what's going yeah. on in it. It's actually kind of fun just to check out. Um, okay. But the main character uh, is played by a guy named Daniel Wu, and Daniel Wu just kicks the shit out of everyone in the show, and he's awesome. Like he's yeah. really, really good at it, and he needs to be his older brother. Yeah, that I, I know who that is. That is. Uh... 
Daniel Badlands. Oh, it's a movie too, Badlands in 1973. Okay, let me see. Into the Badlands? Into the Badlands, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, let me see here. I know who this... He's been in... God, yes. what else has he been in? Um, there's there's something else I'm missing. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's not like, a, you know, he's not like new on the scene or anything, but... Right, yeah, the name sounds very, very familiar. I'm trying to think of like what I have seen him in and for his... Oh, he's in The Man with the Iron Fist. That's right. He's uh, he's yeah. one of the characters in that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got. That's where I saw him last. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's so, how I know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I just I think it would be an, it would be an interesting time, and I think again I think it would be an interesting statement um, that Hollywood would make. Like, yes, we're going to make this huge worldwide property that people have known for fifty years, and we're mm-hmm. actually going to put Asian people in it, and we're actually going to try to make it fun. Yes, of course, dude. I think that's a great idea. I think that that's another chance to reboot something for the way it should be like give it the stephen king's head treatment yeah absolutely um how about your 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 final property here that you want to okay lay on me well this one in case you guys haven't uh noticed by our podcast discussions or my uh nerdbot coverage adam is a big dc extended universe fan <laughs> and um as you guys are aware the dc eu is in a little bit of an interesting state right now um more of a state of disarray than a state of uh unity and organization so um this property right here is in a prime state to be rebooted okay like there's just there's going to be some things that i feel that are going to happen in the coming years and um i'm just going to give you like some of my uh, predictions for this because anytime we could talk about rebooting something i'm gonna slide the dceu into your dms okay so um okay so first thing we have to accept is what's done is done there's no way to go back in time and redo what was already done you can already you can only move forward i happen to think that out of the five movies that they've released so far granted uh wonder woman is definitely the crowning jewel out of the whole thing Mm. and even though uh, others are like a little bit agitated with some of the outcomes of Batman, Superman, Justice League, and Suicide Squad. I um, I happen to think that within there, there's a lot of foundation that has been laid, and there's some things that I think they should go forward on. So, be that as it may, um, 2018, all we're getting is Aquaman this year, and I think that that's a good move. I think Jason Momoa is really ripe to be a big star for, you know, for like the actiony, like big ass, like, you know, bruiser dude type roles. Mm -hmm. I think he, he's got a little bit more to bring to the table than I think like some of your other like straight up uh, action stars. So Aquaman is going to be the first chance for him to really show off his uh, chops, not only as, um, as a member of the DCU, but also as a, like, you know, person who can carry a franchise, you know, because if it's good, Aquaman is going to get Aquaman too, without a doubt. So um, I'm, I'm keeping my optimism that Aquaman is going to be all right. Uh, 2019 is going to be a really interesting year for DC again, because um, as of right now, there's only two movies that are scheduled. Uh, Sh- Shazam is one of them. And uh, Wonder Woman 2 is the other one that's slated for December. Shazam is going to be May. And then after that, it is pretty much the Wild West. Like, no one really knows what's going mm. on. So this is where Adam Chebulewski is going to step in, and he's going to kind of highlight the next couple of years of the DCEU. 
So in 2020, you have to do Flashpoint. Flashpoint has got to be the movie that comes out in 2020 because that's going to be the one that quintessentially breathes new life into the entire franchise. That's also going to be the opportunity that they have to right any wrongs or fix any like uh, loose ends. Anything like that is going to have to be done in Flashpoint. The good news is, is that they don't really have to reboot the entire universe. Suicide Squad can just kind of be broken up and all those people can go into different movies. And if they do do a Suicide Squad 2, which I guarantee is going to happen, um, uh, David Ayer is no longer involved. It's a whole new like group of people. So, uh, so what I think is going to happen, Flashpoint is going to happen in 2020. They're going to reboot and... Uh, Get rid of Affleck. Affleck will be in Flashpoint, but at some point in time, he's going to disappear or get lost in time, however it might be. And then they're going to pass the torch on to the younger Batman, which I'm leaning towards right now. I, I have a feeling they're going to go Gyllenhaal or quite possibly I think Army Hammer is finally going to do it. And I actually wouldn't mind Army Hammer getting it just because the dude's like a tank, like the dude's like six foot three, like, you know, the guy's like a kind of a bigger guy, mm. which I just, I just kind of feel you have to have um, for this kind of, for any type of co- cohesion to exist in this universe. The bad Batman has to be a big ass, like jacked up dude, which I really think that they nailed on the head with this current DCU. Like Affleck is a, phenomenal batman no matter what anybody says the guy's the definitive batman he crushed it and crushes it i agree so do so good so um so that's what's going to happen there and then they'll probably like just for um to throw in a little bit of entertainment for the fans probably bring jeffrey dean morgan in there too to have the little like flashpoint batman kind of interaction which i know that the movie will have at some point in time in there we're going to have like maybe three batmans in one movie which which is okay and then it also becomes like the Flash's solo movie that we get a new Batman out of it. And then we'll do the Batman solo movie like later on down the road in like 2022 or something like that. Because I know Matt Reeves, the guy who just did War of the Planet of the Apes, was wanting to take time off and everything. And he's the guy who's supposed to direct the Batman solo movie whenever it comes mm-hmm. out. So we got that. So um, then what then what I would do personally from here is um, I had to address Flashpoint. But for what, what I what I would do personally from here is you got to you got to focus and play to your strengths. So Wonder Woman is now the leader of the DC extended universe. She's she's the one that is by far the front runner. Batman, even though being the most iconic comic book character of all time, um, he's just like a strong supporting actor right now. Like Wonder Woman is, is the star Superman becomes more of a, um, interchangeable piece in the equation. Like if we ever do get a man of sequel steel, a man of steel sequel, which I think we'll we'll get eventually. Um, I, I don't know what they're possibly going to do with it, but I feel that the best use for Superman is for him to come in and out of other movies and either fight alongside somebody, save the day, make cameos, something like that. I think that's what Superman's problem for DC is kind of the exact same problem that Marvel had with the Hulk. And um, Marvel found out how to use the Hulk. I do feel that DC will find out how to, a way to use Superman. Um, the Flash is going to become a 
you know, kind of like another like strong secondary character. Maybe he gets his own movie eventually. Um, Cyborg, I feel, will just kind of also be like a um, kind of an ensemble piece, like somebody that just kind of comes in and out. If they do add any more members of the Justice League, like the Green Lantern, that's going to be done through a solo movie that happens later on down the road, which I which I'm totally okay with. So with that, and the last thing that I'll, I'll highlight on really quick is um, this concept of Shazam, which is coming out in May of 2019. Zachary Levy, the guy from Chuck, he is cast to play Shazam, and I'm totally, totally fine with that. Um, and like, I think, yeah, it's it's a really interesting choice. Yeah. Like, he looks he looks great in the suit. The suit looks really good. Um, the Rock is supposed to be in this movie in sh- some way, shape, or form. But however, like, it's not as the Rock's appearance in the movie is not as discussed as much as some of the other stuff that's going on because the movie's shooting in Toronto right now. And um, what I feel with this Shazam thing, that this is going to be a really if this movie's really good, it's going to be the best outlet for DC to become a little bit more um, family friendly to have like your um, movie that's going to appeal to like a big time, like mass audience and stuff like um, and not to say that Wonder Woman isn't doing that. But I think Shazam could end up being like a another like strong front runner for the DCEU. So like, but when, so when it's all said and done, they'd have three core people of Batman, Wonder Woman, Shazam, and then they'd be supported by another like four or seven characters that, um, that I think could either work in and out of their, um, you know, own movies or jump in and out of them. And those characters being the remainders of the justice league and like kind of the better parts of suicide squad. So like Will Smith, Margot Robbie, um, uh, Jai Courtney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just oh, also, I have to throw this in there cause I totally left it out. What, what they're going to do with the Joker, uh, Jared Leto's Joker, big time disappointment. I hated it ever since the minute I saw that damaged tattoo. There's a couple of like, okay scenes with him in suicide squad, but for the most part, it was very disappointing. Um, so even though nothing is set in stone yet, they're talking about this Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips, Martin Scorsese produced like thing or whatever, this project that's going to happen. Mm. And um, what I feel they should do, this movie should come out in 2020 and um, they're going to completely reboot the Joker. They can have whoever the hell they want as the Joker. Like Joaquin Phoenix, I think would be an okay choice, but like I don't even think they need to do a Joker origin story. I just think they need to erase Jared Leto, and in doing so, they could they could bring in Margot Robbie. They could they could do something just completely like act as if it didn't even exist, you know, and then um, from there proceed to work the Joker in to the current DC extended universe. So by the time we're at like the third Batman movie he finally meets the Joker there, but they've been kind of building up to it the entire time. Mm. So that is just um, a little snippet of what could have amounted to be a four hour long conversation because there's nothing more that I love talking about than potentially ways to fix the DCEU. And that was my like position on it. Um, And now I will, uh, you know, get your thoughts on that. I think, um, I think you're, I think you're right about, First off, just since you mentioned it real quickly there, the uh, the Joker, I I you're right. I don't think the casting matters necessarily because everyone is doesn't matter how good this person is. Everyone has Heath Ledger fixed in their mind, and yeah. And it, it won't like you know what I mean. Like he'll they'll never measure up to him. So it was too early to reboot the character. They could have done Suicide Squad without the without, Joker, no yeah. problem. 
but they they saw it as an opportunity to reintroduce it. And that's that's currently the problem they're fixing is that they're the DCU is following off the tales of the Dark Knight trilogy, which is like one of the most hailed trilogies of superhero movies in all time. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the problem is, is they're following like such a great thing. And there's so I mean, there's other things other than that, too. But right. that's one of them. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, cast whoever you want, like make them, you know, you could I mean, like, the, obviously, there's only been what, like three on film at this point in you know, Joker's, um, you know, like, I, I, you know, no one thought like going back to like the, you know, the original Batman, um, no one was like really sure about Jack Nicholson playing playing the Joker. You right. know what I mean? Like they, it was kind of like a okay, this is an interesting choice. So just yeah, exactly. So just cast whoever you feel like. It's the it's yeah. almost you know obviously not anyone. I mean, you, if, like if I hear that they cast Dane Cook, I like I might like set something on fire. Um, yeah, I agree with you. That's but, a, that's definitely a fireworthy casting, <laughs> right? But you yeah, put almost anyone in there that's that's like a competent actor, and they'll do something with it that's interesting. And hopefully, they don't send used condoms to all the cast members. Yeah, um, that's true too. Yeah, hopefully. man. I, Dude, for all that, and that's 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 some shit right there. I'm glad you you mentioned that, so I could just go on this brief little tangent here. For all the shit that we had leading up to Suicide Squad, for like Jared Leto being totally into method acting, all this kind of stuff, you know, like God, he's he's acting like this. Use condoms or dead rats all over the place. They only refer to him as Mr. J. Mm-hmm. His performance was like, dude, it was like a. It was like a limp dick, man. It was just like not there at all. And like there should when he was on the screen, he should have been just outright commanding and like giving you a memorable fucking like shot of whatever at three minutes at a time. And they just they just didn't do it, dude. Yeah. They like it was I think he breathed more and took deep breaths and looked at the camera than he did actually say lines. If you're gonna have like if you're gonna have that kind of joker, I almost feel like he needs to be physically bigger. Yeah, like Jared no Leto is so thin. Yeah, <laughs> he's so thin. No he just, one's gonna. He doesn't have like the, the the Gotham crime lord kind of thing, you know. And then you you top it off with like it's bad enough he's got the damage tattoo, but then you have to give him all the necklaces and rings and stuff. And like I realize like that David Ayer's like you know the urban like kind of scene like really influenced his his filmmaking yeah. and everything. Oh, yeah. But yeah. like. You, there's just certain, and I've said this before. There, there's just certain lines you can't cross because everybody's connection to these characters is through a, a drawing on a piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? Like right. we've been fortunate enough that we've had like some film incarnations of it, but you can't stray so far from that to the point where like it is seriously your take on the Joker. Like Heath Ledger, like kind of through the appearance to like a couple of thi- couple of like Joker incarnations. I think like the video games and stuff. He mm-hmm. kind of like lined up a little bit with. But, like, dude, you can't go, like, way out there. He can either have the chains and no tattoos or tattoos and no chains. He can't have both. Right, right. And then, by the way, like, I had a when – you, when you started mentioning, mentioning Shazam, uh, Shazam mm-hmm. my, first, my first thought was, like, the Sinbad movie. And then I was like – Right, right. I was like, wait, no, that movie doesn't exist either. Um, it, it, like you yeah. actually threw me off there for a second. I had a yeah. whole Mandela effect. It was uh, Shaquille O'Neal, I think, is in Kazam. the genie movie. In Kazam. 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 Yeah. Kazam. Okay. Yeah, yeah I had so a whole like, Mandela effect moment there. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so like, oh, that movie, like, okay, so technically it's Captain Marvel. So DC had this character, Captain Marvel, that came out, and then. Uh, Marvel also has a character called Captain Marvel, right. who's a um, a woman who's going to be Brie Larson, you know, in the, right. the upcoming movie and right. stuff. And um, 
Marvel kind of eventually like took away that the ability for DC to call the character Captain Marvel. Sure. And now they call him Shazam. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Boy, Zachary Levi, Zachary, Zachary Levi, is it Levi or Levi or Levi? I always called it, Le- I always just say Zachary Levy. Okay, Zachary Levy. That uh, sounds right. But yeah, that's, you know, like, I think um, I think what the DCEU needs to do, they need to make, they need to, for whoever, all the characters that they're, they're going to end up bringing in, they need to make kind of, they need to make, you know, obviously like some slam, there's some slam dunk ones, but they mm-hmm. need to make some kind of like, some of the more outside the box casting choices like that. Like, yeah. I wouldn't pick Zachary Levy, Le- Levy to be a superhero necessarily. That, that right. wouldn't be my first thought. So why not go outside the box and see what see what happens? Yeah, I think that they need to go outside the box at all costs. I think they need to bring characters that we're not necessarily familiar with, like Shazam, and give them and give them movies. They need to make like they need to make these like Thor like dude, Thor Ragnarok, I watched it last week, is fucking amazing. And like they need to make those kind of characters, like your your B and C characters in the comics, the A characters in the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's you know, it's I, I suppose though it's it's kind of a shrewd strategy to not, you know, because like Marvel's planned out for like the next like five years, right? Or maybe even longer. I mean, it could be even longer than that. Um, yeah. I, like I remember seeing like some infographic that like some nerds made on Reddit, and I feel yeah. like, I oh, feel yeah. like I feel like it goes all the way up to like twenty twenty six or something like that. With with unnamed projects included, they're they're easily five years into the future. Yeah. I think keeping yourself on, and I know this like. DC is very reactionary. Like we talked about uh-huh. this before, like they more so than because Marvel can kind of do whatever they could. Yeah, it could, it could be it could be fucking Chadwick Boseman peeing just like into a toilet for five minutes, and it's going to rack up like fifty million dollars first weekend. Yeah, um, of course. So they don't really have to like be that reactionary, whereas DC does. Like they yeah. absolutely have to. So I think keeping themselves on like a shorter leash in mm-hmm. terms of like how they're planning stuff probably a good idea. Until yeah. like you know you know we're gonna get the next Wonder Woman movie, um, and I think from there like if if things start to take off from there maybe you'll hear more plans beyond you know twenty twenty you'll hear like more stuff coming in twenty twenty one twenty two, but they but Here's, they're they're at a point where they just have to they got to try to do some different stuff and yeah and try to ride the the good hand that they've been dealt with uh, with Gal Gadot yes of course and like dude I'm telling you like what what I think is gonna happen I'm just really quick on this um. I uh I think that in time, not not like ten years from now, but like we're, we're talking like when you and I are like fifty, Disney is going to acquire DC and they're going to bring in like a Marvel vs DC type universe. Marvel vs DC, absolute infinitum war. And yeah, exactly. It's a nine hour movie of people fighting. Not it's Marvel vs DC. Nobody survives. Right. Like stuff, stuff, stuff that like that. Oh my god. So, like- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, no. I was just going to ask you what your uh, what your second one was. Hmm. Um, mine's a, this is a quick one, but this got me feeling nostalgic. So I remember because um, I've been listening to uh, our friend, mutual friend, friend from high school, Daryl Green, aka Jesse Beats. Oh yeah, I've been listening to, to some of his mattress money stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely definitely a lot of fun. And yeah, you know, he's been he's been in the music business now for it's hard to believe like for over a decade. Um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, he's 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 not like superstar by any means. Uh, anyone listening out there, he's he's grinding away. He's 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 the equivalent of like what you want to be in you know in a writer's room. He's like right. that in in the music industry. Yes, of course. Um, but you know, he does his own stuff, and his own stuff is pretty good. But it it actually 
it reminded me of some of the stuff like I, I've been into rap forever, uh, believe it or not, folks. And Daryl and I used to listen to like there was this like mixtape um, that came out like in the late nineties. Um, gosh, I want to say it was I want to say it was ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay, and it was a bunch of it was a bunch of modern rappers, modern at the time, covering some like standards from like the nineteen eighties, covering Sugar Hill Gang. Um, there, was, mm-hmm. there was like Redman, uh, Keith. Oh gosh, it was Redman. Doing cool Keith or something? No, no, it, I, I'd have to look it up again. But regardless, it was it was a bunch of like well known, excuse me, well known <coughs> early '80s into the late '80s rap songs that were covered. And mm-hmm. one second, and it was like a really cool introduction to some of these old rap songs that I never heard before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to have like the modern, the more modern guys do it. You know, like a, I'm going to be interested if someone from the Wu Tang Clan is doing something that, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang did. So, yeah. my suggestion now is to kind of like I am on record as saying like '80s rap still some of the best music that was ever made. Um, you know, because it's for its time, super unique. Um, you had a very distinct message that mm-hmm. I think is that I don't think you get this that I don't think you get in rap now. Not not that everyone is mindless, but um, you, you know, like. You think about Grandmaster Flash, um, yeah. you think about uh, Farside, uh, KRS-One, like, they had something to say. Like, they had real things that they wanted to talk about. Of course. Um, and those, those like, because all this stuff was, was kind of coming out at the same time, there's just, like, a rich abundance of these, like, really cool songs that from time to time, you know, other rappers pick up and they sample from, they take pieces from, um, you know, just like, well, I mean, like any other musician. Mm-hmm. I want I want to I wanted I want this to happen again where we okay. pick up some of these standards, put it on like a big like like a, like a twenty song like two discs basically like one of those like now volume like eighty sevens, yeah like, yeah yeah of course but like just on eighties rap, and I want more modern rappers to cover it all with of course. obviously putting their own spin their own twist on it. I think mm-hmm. I think that like I think that um yeah I want here's my get off my porch moment. Um, I think that like a lot of young people today who are listening to people like Future and Drake, nothing against them. They're just like they don't they don't scratch that itch that I want, you know, that I right. want from hip hop music. They just they don't do mm-hmm. it for me. Um, of there's other mumble rappers that they say nothing. I mean, they're literally just mumbling along to a beat at, at various mm-hmm. points. That uh-huh. it, that sucks. You know, it, it's terrible to get some of the get, to get some like popular rappers now to cover some of these songs to bring some of these songs back into the limelight. Cause I'm sure uh, like, like the other day, like I was listening to, uh, I was listening to um, life after death, uh, B- Biggie's album. Yeah. And there's some songs in there. I'm like, Oh man, I forgot about this song. I'm like, I'm sure mm-hmm. some of the dudes that I'm working out with right now at the gym have never heard the song before. Have I gotcha. never heard it. Right. Of course. But if you were to, you know, if you were to have Kendrick Lamar and, and Gambino and, mm-hmm. and chance, the rapper, bring some of these things back. I think that like, it would do a great, a great service to the old rappers and also like show some of these people, some of the young people now that like you can like be entertaining and fun and, and like still have something to say. Yeah, of course, of course, dude, definitely. And like, I, um, I think this is a great idea because I am a fan of when punk bands do this and mm-hmm. there are times where like 
there's like 50 million of these like albums that are just like, oh, punk bands cover TV show theme songs right. or punk bands right. cover like these songs or even Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, which is a band completely based on doing punk versions of older songs. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm all about this. And like, I think um, I'll tell you, this is actually like, I'm really happy that you decided to go with this because after out of all the, the rap shows that I've seen, um, when they do covers, it's really fucking awesome because it's honestly just playing the song in the background and they rap over it. And it's pretty fucking dope. You know, like it's just all of a sudden like Kanye will break into something or like uh, Snoop Dogg would break into like something crazy, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, I think that like um, cover songs in the, the rap community um, are something that could be done like a lot more, you know, like actually like putting new instrumentation behind the song instead of just like, putting it into like a stereo and you rap over it, you know, but actually like your, your beat guys altering the beat and adding distortion or making it cleaner, whatever you are whatever you're going to do. And I think that, um, some of these like older rap songs that didn't necessarily have the technology that we have today could be worked, um, could be reworked into something that's truly special, you know, and they could really like do cool things like, I don't know. Imagine like hearing nothing but a G thing, but there's a guitar somehow worked into it. You know, like I think that'd be awesome. Right. And and then and additionally, um, like I remember this. I remember this like this uh, the mixtape that I was talking about that came out um, years ago. They, you know, they stayed true to the. You know, they stayed true to the original lines. Like there's like there's like one the one that one of my favorites was a, a cover of Ice T's Six in the Morning, and they spun it around to to modernize it and to like. To have like a day, you know, it's it's one of the six in the mornings, like like a kind of like a day in the life sort of rap song, a la you know, today was a good day, um, you know, that yeah. kind of that kind of song, and they and they right. spun it. Around. I mean, it's still you still hit the same notes and the beats the same. Um, you still have some of the same lyrics, but it's spun so it makes it's more modern. Like it makes it makes mm-hmm. sense to this. I can't remember who the rappers were that covered it, um, but it made sense in their world. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they put their own spin on it. And I think like you could. With some of the like, I have, I have very particular things in mind, and like I think you you give someone like Kendrick Lamar a chance to spin like a particular song his way, he's gonna do it because he's a smart guy, and it's gonna be good. Of course, yeah, definitely, dude. Kendrick's just like anything; he's just so hot right now, man. Like yeah. the guy's just putting out like good album after good album after good album, you know. Which is, and even like to pimp to pimp a butterfly, which didn't necessarily hit me the first time. Over time, it, it grew over, it grew on me. I'm like, man, this is just like pretty goddamn incredible shit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it just, I don't know how he does it. The Black Panther soundtrack is incredible. Like, I just don't, I don't understand how he does it. He's fantastic. I, you, you want some real specifics here? I actually had like, I threw out like five songs, and who mm-hmm. I would want to pair them up with, or you know, who I would okay. want to cover them. Yeah, go for it. So like, probably like the the seminal rap song that everyone that everyone knows, Sugar Hill Gang's "Rappers Rappers Delight." Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, you know. It, I, I can't. That thing's been covered countless times. Of course, um, but like I, I think we could. I think we could make do with this kind of interesting combination. Run the jewels mm-hmm. with Cardi B. Ooh, that would be my rapper's delight cover right there. Okay, I um, like that. Going back to Cali, this one's okay. This one for two reasons. Um, going back to Cali is just a great song, but I want uh-huh. Kendrick Lamar to cover it because I want. Yeah. I want to cross. We need to we need to end this East Coast West Coast feud, Chema, mm-hmm. and I need yeah. Kendrick Lamar to do a New York rapper song, and and make it his own. Yes, definitely, I, I completely agree. Gangsters Paradise, 
Yep. There's only one gangster that can do this now, even though he's a little bit older, 50 Cent. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite rap groups that's a little bit on the, bit on the down low for a lot of people. Like, I, they don't know a ton about them, but uh, I'm a big Farside fan. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know you would know them. Um, a lot of people don't. But uh, my favorite song there is Passing Me By. Of course. And this feels 100% like, this is, this is, a, this is a, a duet here. This is Kid Cudi and Childish Gambino. Yeah. Dude, I, I totally see like um, Childish Gambino doing the uh, or Donald Glover like doing that opening uh, yep. verse of that song for yep. sure. And uh-huh. then uh, last one here, "White Lines" by uh, Grandmaster Flash, The Furious Five. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my my favorite rap collective, uh, Doomtree, covering that. Okay. Song. Nice. I'll keep that in mind. Doomtree. That's Doomtree's awesome. very good. There's I think there's like eight people in Doomtree. Okay. Like, at any given time, there's like you know any album, there's like three or four of them, but. Yeah, I had the same thing. There's this band that I'm getting into now called Brockhampton. That's like the same thing. There's yeah, like a yeah. thousand people in the band. There's like another people, right? Yeah. So there. Yeah, I, I think that would be. I think that'd just be a lot of fun. Like, and I, I could like I, I pick those particular songs because I could imagine them kind of. I could imagine those artists doing a really good job with them. Definitely, dude. I like that. I think that's a really great uh, a regular a really great list of um, artists to do covers, and I think that those pairings will work really, really well. <clears throat> do you have anything else that, oh. we should, that we should talk about before we wrap up? Uh, dude, actually, I do not. I, I really enjoyed today's discussion, though. I really did. I like that. I'm telling you, I really do the cover, the rap covers and everything. And like mm-hmm. some of the discussion that we had earlier about like the gender flipping. And uh, this was a fucking solid, uh, a very solid opening meeting for um, the staff here at PC Culture. It, w- it was. It was. Now we just need someone to give us a billion dollars so we can make all these things happen. Yes, of course. And God, I'm telling you, man. Open up a GoFundMe. Studio executives, this was the episode to to marathon through. And then if you want, do drugs and listen to our Altered Carbon one. You could be up all night. That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, we did come back to Altered Carbon. Um, And I did feel like I was was taking drugs the first episode I watched. Anyway. Hell yeah, dude! No, I, I real no. This is a really great. Uh, this is a really great episode. It's always cool, cool to like these reboot conversations and stuff. And I know we've had like a couple of them. Like they're always just like fun to do in their own way. Like you know, just like I we were talking about like uh, crossover things, and I was doing that whole thing about Game of Thrones and Time Cop and stuff. It's just fucking fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it gives you it gives you a chance to be it gives you a chance to be creative and if i do say if i do say so myself we're much more creative than a lot of the reboots that do get put on tv mm-hmm. um, and do get put into the movie theater um I, I don't think i'm pretty sure no one is well i shouldn't say no one but i'm pretty sure they're not trying to make the mask as dark as possible <laughs> like right yeah, now of, of course. Um, i'm sure they're not like how can we get a bunch of 40 year old women into a war movie um i'm sure <laughs> they're not doing that either so you know it gives us a chance to think outside the box and just have some fun with it. Yeah, of course, dude, all the way. Uh, do you want to lead us out of here? All right, yeah, you bet. Everybody out there, thank you very much for uh, tuning into this week's installment of the Occasionalist Podcast. You can download us at flyingmind.com or on iTunes and uh, take us with you on the road for a nice long drive. Believe me, podcasts on the road, they are pretty fucking legit, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Well, everybody, we will see you next week where we are going to be doing another installment of our Protean Man series, uh, all about uh, changes and reforms and everything like that. So um, this is going to be an episode uh, that we're both very excited to do. So we will see you next week and have a great weekend.